Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park You are now listening to the hottest true crime podcast in the streets. Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of Affirmative Murder, the Equal Opportunity True Crime Comedy Podcast. I am Alvin Williams, joined as always by my partner in true crime, Francel Evans. Oh, yes, yeah, right a minute, Mr. Postman. Yeah, man, I'm the mailman, can't you tell, man? Gonna post a- Fran, what's going on? Not much, man, what's up? Not a thing, man, I went to a... A small coronavirus wedding over the weekend. Uh, You know, I learned from that experience, even though the wedding was beautiful, I learned a lot of, I took a lot of notes. I feel like when, because me and Sierra are planning on planning a wedding, once once all this shit is over with, because it just doesn't make sense to like do business with a a company and then they might not be around in six months or something like that. So to plan, even to go, let's plan the wedding a year out and then maybe all this shit will be over with. It's like, well, we don't know what things we plan might not be available a year from now. So... I took my notes. It was a very beautiful ceremony. But you had a notepad? It, I'm sorry? You had a notepad? Yeah, of course. I always keep a notepad on oh, Okay. Me. Yeah, it's the Blue's Clues notepad with yeah. the like, couch on it. The big pen? Yeah, the big... Yeah, it's very noticeable. I will say it's not good for... <laughs> being, if you're doing if doing any kind of like uh, de- detective work yeah. or you're an independent... You know, what do they call that? Like a... Uh, <laughs> um, you know, like an independent detective? Yeah. It's very noticeable when you yeah. pull out a, a foot and a half long pen and you're on a big yellow notepad and it's colorful... So I wouldn't recommend it to anybody, but I don't care when people see me take notes. So I was noticing, like, oh, the lights are cool, mm-hmm. and the, the the way that the spread, the food is spread out, and you can just serve yourself, and yeah. you know all this kind of stuff. But I also noticed that there were a lot of rules not being followed, um, and it, it was more confirmation to what I already felt, which was it's just not a normal time right now. Yeah, to do normal things. Nope. And I went to another thing. To, uh, you know, potentially expose myself. But, yes, you did. Yes, but um, I was as safe as you possibly can be, other than doing a shot with my father-in-law. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> but other than that, like, I didn't dance. I wasn't, like, high, I wasn't high-fiving. That, I don't anymore. think you can get it by dancing, but, yeah. Well, you dance, you 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 know, you you know, you see some older lady at a wedding, you, you grab both her hands and then you give her a little spin to make yeah. her feel sexy, like you know, like she's young again. You're like, yeah. Oh, hey Carol, hey now, and you dance with her. Things like that that I usually do because as most people know, when I go to the weddings, I am the life of the party. I you know, people expect that from me. It's it's a moniker that I carry well, and I felt bad to not be able to deliver that to this wedding. 
Okay. But in these in these trying times, I just didn't feel comfortable getting out there and hitting the worm and you know hitting my wall in front of everybody. I you know I just it just didn't feel right. Yeah. Um, but again, like I said, going through that whole thing, I really it really made me even more understand even more where it's like you just can't do normal stuff, man. Yeah. You know. But it was. <clears throat> I just had some jalapenos. I just. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> we are Brad, six feet apart people. yes yes we are six feet apart i promise you i promise you if i if i feel any if, if i got double back if i got the triple double coronavirus you man, deserve be, it. Be, yeah it would be crazy <laughs> it was a, it was it was sierra's family event and, yeah. and it, 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 you know and we you know we felt an obligation to go yeah but my point is shit's not normal and you can't uh safe proof things and then try to do them the way that you normally would do them. right you know, you can't go, okay, well, we're going to have a house party, but y'all, you know, stay six feet apart and don't shit. No. You know, it's like people are going to come into, they're going to, yes. yeah, exactly. It's just, you get into the flow of things when you're in a space. Yeah. Just, just concern for you guys' health, man. Don't want you guys getting sick of you. <laughs> I, I, appreciate, I, <laughs> I appreciate it, man. Again, I, I, you know, um, it, it probably wasn't the smartest thing to do, Yeah, but it was there, it, you know, if, if somebody's having an important moment in their life. And they're taking photographs and everything in your in your their family, you know, you you either make a decision to not show up to that and that is what it is. You hope they understand that you weren't there. Yeah. But if they didn't cancel the thing and you don't show up and you aren't in any of the photos and it's twenty years down the line and everybody's like, Man, that time was crazy, but you have these photos and you see all the people that did show up. Yeah. The people that didn't show up, it almost kind of draws a line where it's like, Well, how much do how much do we really mean to you. Yeah. You know, I get it, you know, but I also understand it was like, well, my life, my life means a lot to me. Yeah. So I didn't show up to, yeah. to it because of that. But I don't know the sentimentality really, you know, really drew Sierra. And she was like, well, we should go. I mean, they, we, we told them that we had previously been sick and they didn't say don't come. Yeah. So we went, you know? Yeah. But I, I saw in that moment, no matter how the beautiful, the ceremony was beautiful. They washed each other's feet. Some, you yeah. know, it had some Christian symbolism to it uh, about Jesus or something, but I didn't write that in the notes. I don't want my feet washed publicly. Yeah. And I wouldn't want my fiance to wash my feet publicly. So they debulse each other's feet. Yeah, yeah. It's not like the dude's just okay. like, yeah, right. Rub my, wash my feet. And yeah. then he's done. He stands up. So it's just like a water and sponge just over. Uh-huh. Like Rags simple. and like a bucket of water. Gotcha. But it's the, it's the symbolism. Gotcha. Um, it's like, uh, your, your, um, the bond that's created by doing this thing. Whatever. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but my point is the wedding ceremony was beautiful and I'm sure a lot of these other weddings that are probably happening are beautiful, but it's hard to do a coronavirus themed or, 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 you know, uh, safe wedding. If it's everybody's in person and there's a DJ and there's music playing and there's food out and everything like that, you're it's, there's no guarantee that it's safe mm. because people fall into their normal habits yeah. when it's party, you know? So I don't know, man. Glad you uh, had fun. I did have fun. Yeah. And I hope nobody gets sick. Me either. Um, I don't, I don't feel like we, I'm saying, I'm just mean like the people that were there. I uh, know, me too. Yeah, yeah. I, ho- I, hope, I hope nobody gets sick, um, but there weren't a ton of the rules being followed. So it could happen. I don't know. Yeah. Um, Spitting in each other's mouth. Yeah, man, this party's cool. Y'all close face to face. Oh, I thought yeah, you meant like just straight up. You no, mean no, accidentally? No, no. Acc- yeah. Okay, I was like, I don't know what you're into, but yeah. I don't know what weddings you've gone to, but nobody was spat in anybody's mouth. Intentionally, mm-hmm. but anyway, yeah. Um, before we get into, we got a lot of, we got a couple of California topics. Uh, first of all, I want to say prayers to everybody in Northern California. They are experiencing a, like a hell of a wildfire that's going through there. I think if they said they're saying it was always, man, 
they're saying it was started by uh, maybe a lightning fire. But again, these things happen naturally. Like yeah. um, you got all these acres and acres of forests and trees and everything, and then the stuff dies. Mm-hmm. The trees die and they dry out and everything, and then yeah. it's a hot day. Or, you know, a lightning strike, as they say in this case. But then sometimes people go out there and camp and don't put their fire, their their campfires all the way out. And the ember hits a, hits a piece of dead tree. Mm-hmm. Boom. Massive fire. Uh, Northern California has lost like a mil, like something like a million acres. Damn. And as we learned over the last few years about these wildfires, um, a lot of times when they get out of control like this, they use prison labor to put these fires out. So you got dudes out in there risking their lives for 13 cents a day or some crazy shit like that. I don't have the numbers offhand, but they aren't making what a firefighter's making. Yeah. And these and you don't you don't like that? No. Why? Well, because they don't it's not because I don't again, I don't again, I don't have these statistics on hand. But I would imagine if you depending on what you get out of pri- when you get out of prison and what you were in prison for, I bet you'd have a hard time becoming a firefighter. So let's say you get a passion for fighting fires. You save somebody's animal out in the woods. You're a you're you're a criminal. You're in prison. You've been in prison for ten years. You get out after fifteen years, or you're on parole, or whatever. You fight these fires to maybe get a reduction in your sentence, and then you get out of the prison. You can't vote. Um, it's hard. You have to declare yourself a, pres- a, a criminal wherever you go. You can't. It's hard to find a job. And I was again. I would bet you'd be hard pressed to find a job as a firefighter. So they will let you fight fires as a prisoner, risk your life, and potentially die as a prisoner. But then you can't take those skills that you learn in mm-hmm. prison and use them to reap the benefits of, you know, a steady job and a, a place to live. In some cases, those firefighters live in those fire um, departments a lot of the times, you know, at least for a, like 24 hours at least. And then you got to go find somewhere else. It's, it's, it's very much a pretty stable job, I believe, as far as I know. And it's a job you don't have access to, but they'll use your body to put fires out for other people's homes. Mm-hmm. So I don't I don't like that. OK, but. Either way, there's firefighters, licensed firefighters, whatever, out there risking. There's people out there risking their lives. I think a couple of firefighters, I think like four firefighters have died. Mm. Um, the fire's really raging, man. People are, you know, don't know when to evacuate because a lot of times you, you can see the fires in the distance and they look so far away. So people go, no, nah, they'll put them out before they get to our house. And then you wake up in the middle of the night and the fire's at your front door. Yeah. And you got to sc- scramble to get your cats and your kids and your, you know, whatever, and what your p- prized possessions. And you got to pack your house up as fast as you can. And so that's the thing that's going on right now is people don't know when to evacuate, if they should evacuate. I would say just evacuate to be safe, man. Better safe than sorry. Like, it's better you go get to a Motel 6, get to a Quality Inn or whatever with your animals. And if you were wrong, you'd go back to your house and it's safe and sound. But if you were right, you save potentially losing a loved one or you know a pet a pet loved one or whatever you know or you know having the chance to save those prized possessions photos that you can't get back you know money or whatever you know people keep, you know people keep mattress money friends so yeah you know imagine you thinking you're safe and then the fire shows up at your front door and you lose twenty thousand dollars in mattress money because you're a bartender or you know a day laborer or whatever and you lose your life savings because you didn't think it was going to get to you so prayers to them before we get out of California, um, there was a, a horrible uh, assault that happened in Los Angeles. Uh, three trans women got beat up by this uh, a guy shouting hate crimes at them. And there was just a bunch of dudes all filming them while it happened and laughing and, and, and all these kind of things. And the one thing that I noticed the most was when the video first started, which is a very hard video to watch. Um, the dude, one of the dudes who was filming was like, damn, man, she's fine as hell, whatever, you know? And as soon as one of the other dudes, you know, go, oh, man, no, man, that's a guy. Mm-hmm. Then every, it's like, 
now they're mad because he's mad he was he he's mad he was attracted to that person. So now he now the anger is even higher. It's like how dare you? Tr it's like you tricked me. Yeah. And it's like no, these people are just existing. Like they weren't checking for these people. They were just doing their thing. And I I believe the situation started when, uh, one a guy, you know, uh, there was some kind of I don't know if there was money exchanged or something like that, or or maybe he was hitting on a, hitting on one of these trans women and found out that she was trans and the anger spilled over and he runs up and, and hits one of them in the head with a bottle mm. and she goes, falls down to the ground. And the other woman is like, call the police. You know, why are y'all just standing around filming? Yeah. And they continue to film and laugh and make jokes. What do you want us to do? They're mocking her and the, the assailant fled and took off. And, you know, I, I, I say that it's tragic, you know, cause all these women were doing was just existing and this terrible thing happened to them. But dudes these days are so dog shit cowardly that if these were women that they perceive to meet the standards for what they believe are women, you know, if they were like, oh, no, th these aren't trans women. These are just these are just these are just, you know, women yeah. that, you know, in our eyes that we don't have any kind of stigma that we would get if we were attracted to them. They wouldn't have jumped in for them either because dudes are cowards these days. And yeah. they just everybody just wants to film and get the world star moment. And nobody jumped in to help these women. The dude fled and ran off. But, you know, they got him on a lot of camera footage and he was arrested. He was apprehended. And um his name was Carl uh, Carlton Calloway. Uh, he was arrested on robbery and assault charges. Um, they, they're calling Calloway's actions a hate crime, which they absolutely are. And authorities said that in the news conference on Thursday that the suspect bragged about the assault on social media. Police also identified two other men allegedly involved in the incident, charging Willie Walker, who was 42 years old, with extortion. Uh, and police are still searching for a third suspect, Davion Williams, who was 22 years old, who was wanted on, uh, for assault. So I hope they catch those guys. I hope they get the full story. The women have come out on like a YouTube channel and, and uh, explain the event from their perspective. I didn't get a chance to check that out yet, but just prayers to them and prayers to anybody who is uh, has to live with society not wanting them to exist. Um, you know, uh, early on in this podcast, we did a we did a story about a guy that killed a trans person, and we you know we we he was ashamed of it, and we were like, why don't you just and just just be gay, man. Come out of the closet. And it's like sometimes this is the things that happen when people are out and proud and loud about who they are. They face violence and death sometimes. And that's why the the quote unquote closet exists. And that's why people might not be so loud and 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 and, and proud about who they are as a person. And that's not a that's not a them issue. That's a society issue. So I just wanted to speak on that and say that that was a very messed up situation. I you know and um. I really feel for those three women. So prayers to them and prayers to California in general because they're going through a lot of things right now. They they're going they're doing like the super lockdown. They've been locked down since like March. Because of the fires? No, because of the because oh. of the quarantine. They've been oh. they the whole state. They are they are super. Still? They are stupid. They are super quarantined. Well, they opened up and shit spiked, so they quarantined back oh, down yeah, that's again. Right. Yeah, yeah. So they're quarantined. They got fires going. You know, you got trans attacks happening in and I don't know if it was in West Hollywood, but Hollywood is known to be very like, you know, they have a, West Hollywood is very gay and LGBT friendly. And for this to happen, I think it was really like a, a rallying call because this wasn't, you know, Arkansas or Alabama or Mississippi or something. This was in, you know, Hollywood where, you know, you mm -hmm. know, you know, everything's fabulous and they, you know, poses on television and is filmed in Hollywood and their, you know, representation is is, is back and it's like no, even in the in what's deemed as one of the most progressive cities in the world, people still think that the way that they think, you know, that you know that that uh, representation label doesn't uh, uh, apply to every single person in Los Angeles. So things like this can still happen. Yeah, you know why? Because he's embarrassed or 
Yeah, man. I well, at least I can only speak for because the incident where the assault happened was so fast. But the dudes around them, once they realized that these were trans women, it went from cat call because initially it's like cat calling. You know how dude videos are. You yeah, see, yeah. you see these gross videos of women walking down the street in Miami. They might walk down a street. They might walk down Biscayne or Ocean Drive, and they have on like a sexy dress, and it'll just be like a hundred dudes outside, and they'll all just start smacking these girls' asses. Yeah, but I feel like they do that because they're embarrassed or not. They like, well, they're they mad. Gotta, they were attracted they prove, to them. They got to prove that. Oh wait, I'm not gay. Yeah, yeah. Like I'm not. So a, I'm not attracted. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I I thought she was like a woman, woman, yeah. or whatever's going on in their mind. Yeah. Oh, I thought that was like an actual woman. No, now that I know that that's a man oh yeah, gross but, but them physically hurting this person is like oh me trying to prove to you guys that hey i'm not yes i don't this is not this is not what i like yeah yeah no, this is not yeah. who i am it's very deep rooted yeah. in it and it's, it's a lot of psycho yeah it's a lot of psychological elements to it but um you, you you can't go around hurting people that are just trying to, to exist because of some shit you got going on internally yeah. and that's what's going on in the world man well people think people worry about too much with other people think about them so absolutely man um, but prayers to prayers yeah. to prayers to everybody, man. Twenty twenty has just been a crazy year. Uh, what we're gonna do is we're gonna take a quick break, and um, this song that I'm playing is basically sums up how I felt about twenty twenty. But it's done with uh fun little beats and um, you know, high energy. But it's 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 how twenty twenty feels for me. So we're gonna take a quick break, and when we come back, we're gonna get to this fucked up shit. Can't look at the ceiling The light is so bright It's like I'm overheating This mind isn't mine Who am I to judge? Oh, I should be fine But it's all too much I get overwhelmed so easily My anxiety creeps inside of me Makes it hard to breathe What's come over me Feels like I'm somebody else I get overwhelmed so easily My anxiety and we are back friend it is my oh jesus my knee <laughs> we are back friend uh it is my turn to go first this week are you prepared for my affirmative murder yeah oh that's smart okay uh okay get through this fight all right. Warrior spirit. Okay. Yeah, I'm good. All right. Um, <clears throat> Fran, my affirmative murder this week is the story of George Allen. Uh, this is a story that I got from um, the Innocence Project uh, website. Um, you know, I highly recommend people go make a donation to the Innocence Project. They're doing incredible work over there. They are freeing wrongfully convicted people in this country every day. And, um, you know, sometimes sometimes they aren't quick enough as far as, you know, death row situations. They have a couple of cases that are pending right now that they're trying to get overturned with people whose lives are literally on the line. So anything that you can donate helps $5, $10, $3, whatever, you know, um, it's going to a worthy cause. So this is the story of George Allen. Um, so on the evening of February 4th, 1982, Mary Bell was discovered dead in her home by her living boyfriend who contacted the police. A bloody knife was found wrapped in a towel and stuffed in a cooler inside of a closet near the front door. Mm. The autopsy showed that the cause of death was multiple stab wounds uh, to the to the victim's back and neck, and there was evidence of uh, consistent with sexual assault. Initially, police suspected a known sex offender named Kirk Eaton, whose brother 
resided in the victim's apartment building and who himself lived only five or six blocks away. Shortly after the murder, however, Eaton disappeared. Additionally, the victim's boyfriend, who she lived with, and husband, who she was separated from, were also early suspects. Mm -hmm. On March 4th, 1982, uh, a chance encounter with a man named George Allen, who was several blocks away from the victim's house, was mistaken for Eaton and brought in for questioning. During the questioning, he allegedly said he had previously forced women to have sex with him and, and then denied it. He said he had committed rapes in the projects near where Bell lived and then also denied that. What? Now, what I'll get to, I'll get to, so I'll get, to, I'll just, it, it helps to let you know now because I'm going to go into some explanation. So George Allen is uh, mentally challenged. Okay. Or I don't know the proper term, but I'm going to use that because I don't know the proper term, if that's not the proper term. George, he, 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 ha he is a, stunt, a, stunted, a stunted man. He has some mental illness. And what I believe this was, it was, coer it was coercion. Okay. So you got a guy, you're trying to solve a crime, yeah. you're interview you're inter uh you're doing a quote unquote interview with him, you, you know, and you say some things like, "Have you ever because the woman who interviewed him was like from the from the uh, uh sexual crimes unit." Okay. So you say some things like, "Have you ever sexually assaulted women?" and he, you know, he's kind of just you're nervous, everything going on, so he might parrot some things back like, "Yeah, uh, yeah, maybe, I don't know." You know, just just coercion, just yeah. you know, like why would somebody say that and then deny it? Well, as we learned from the Central Park Five, I mean, yeah. you, you put somebody in an interrogation room long enough, you do the right tactics. You 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 tell them That's that they have up. you tell them that they have evidence against them, and you could get somebody to commit com, uh, 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 um, fucking shit. What's the word? I lost my, my brain. Fucked up. Uh, fucking admit. Yeah, or confess. Confess. You but I'm trying to figure out why. But that though, specifically to be like, he said he did rape a woman, but then deny it. How can somebody from the outside hear that and go? Oh sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. That had to be. But people, set up. this happens with juries all the time. You know? Do you know? Did you know that? Um, like, uh, the detectives inside those interrogation rooms, they're they're allowed to lie. They're allowed to tell you that they have your evidence on things. Yeah. So you can so you can say something. So you can say something. Yeah. So, but all, if they get you saying something on tape, which this wasn't on tape, that's why I'm saying allegedly because there's no proof that he said these things. Yeah. Um. If they get you saying those things, that's all they're going to play to the jury. Yeah. And then the jury goes, well, why would he confess to a murder if he didn't kill somebody? Guilty. You know, but as we've learned through many cases, and specifically the Central Park Five case was the most prominent one in recent years. People can confess to things that they didn't that they didn't do because of, you know, coercion and intimidation tactics mm -hmm. and, and, and lying done in these rooms. So that happens all the time. And this is another case. Now, the most interesting part is that. So, like you said, I know you, you sound like you're saying, like, why would you admit to or say you raped somebody and then say you didn't do it, right? Well, I was saying, well, why, how would somebody on the outside hear that and go... When you say the outside, you mean like a jury? I mean, like the, or, ju the jury or yeah, okay. the judge, uh -huh. you know, hear that, that they admitted to that. Yeah, and then they and say, then well, why would you admit to something you didn't do? Right, and then take it back. Yeah. How could they not think, like, oh, he was forced to say that or something like that? If if they've been in the business or if they've been in that that position long enough well, the, the, to come across these cases all the time. Well, the jury isn't. But the judge, the, the judge though. Sure, the judge is, but the, again, a court is not about what's true or not. It's what you can prove. Right. So if all they play is him saying, I, I did this, then and they don't tell the judge, oh, he also retracted this. If they don't, if they leave that part out, mm. that's, the, that's the defense's job to bring up that he also recanted that. 
Okay, that them them too then. Yeah, but if the defense doesn't do a good job of that, then all people remember is here's a tape of him saying, "Yeah, I raped somebody." Yeah. Well, you know? do a better job. Yeah. Well, yeah. That, well, this they didn't do a good job, and yeah. he and he he gets sent to prison. Uh, you know, uh, uh, spoiler alert. But yeah. I'll continue because there's more to the story. So, um, so that he he's initially questioned by this woman. The officer felt Alan was was unreliable, and she ended the interview. So even even as a person sitting in front of him, whose job is to convict convince um, convict people and get a confession out of people, even the person's doing the interview going, she's going, oh man, I don't know if this dude's lying or telling the truth because he's mentally ill. So yeah. he, nothing he's saying is it can be taken for the truth to her. So she ends the interview. She's like, oh, I don't know. I can't get anything out of this guy. Now what she does is she contacts Herbert Riley, a detective from the homicide division who was investigating the Bell murder. So she calls him up and is like, hey, you know, if you want to take a crack at this guy, he's kind of, you know, he's kind of off. But, you know, if you want to take a crack at him, he was around the area where Mary Bell was murdered. So Riley comes in and he begins questioning Alan and ultimately obtained a, a taped confession during during which Alan confessed to the crimes. Uh, all, Alan also told Riley during the interrogation that he was mentally ill, that he was intoxicated at the time of the interrogation and that he was innocent. You know, mm-hmm. so again, he did just as much kind of switching back and forth with Riley as he did with the other process with the other um, detective. Yeah. But Riley was able to get on tape him saying that he killed Mary Bell. And he didn't get on tape that he said he was mentally. They challenged. definitely got it on tape. But, you know, it's like, oh, we weren't filming at that. You know, how, you know how this shit goes, man. That's what I, it, it wasn't used is what I was asking. Of course it wasn't. Yeah. used. Yeah, yeah. No, of course not. But maybe maybe they don't have that part on film, but they have that in the transcript. And then that's the defense attorney's job to say, your honor, he also says that he's innocent and that he was drunk. And, you know, so he wasn't able he should he shouldn't be able to, you know, use his Miranda rights if he's drunk or whatever, you know, or what, whatever the fight should have been. It didn't go this way. Yeah. He got railroaded by the court system. And many more things happened, which I'll get into. So at the time of the crime, Allen lived in University City, Missouri, about 10 miles from Bell's apartment. At that same time, St. Louis was attempting to dig itself out from a 20-inch snowstorm that virtually paralyzed the city, and police police were were never able to explain how Allen could have made his way to Bell's apartment while this snowstorm they're living in this post snowstorm world. And you know how that is. I remember that snowstorm we got in like 97. It was like 20 or 30 inches of snow and you just were home for four days. It just was what it was. Like you just got to slowly dig out a little bit at a time. (laughs) And so they're saying basically in order for this, for, for George Allen to have been the killer, he would have had to have like a vendetta against Mary bell that took him directly to her house Mm -hmm. specifically while walking through waist high snow. Fuck that. Yeah, you know, it's just, it's just, what's the motive there? Yeah. He doesn't know this woman. Where's the motive? Why her? Yeah. It wasn't like he caught her in an alleyway. If they were saying a woman was found on the streets, yeah. then maybe you go, okay, we can place George Allen around that area. He stumbles upon her. He decides he wants to rape and murder her. That you can prove. But to say that he went to her apartment yeah. while there's 20 inches of snow on the ground, you know, he's trekking through the snow, hip, hip high snow to go kill this specific woman that he's he never met know. before. Right. It just doesn't track. But you got a confession, you know, and that that can convince a jury a lot of times if you if if the prosecution plays it right. Uh, Allen was charged with capital murder, sodomy, rape, and first degree burglary. He went to trial on April twentieth, nineteen eighty three, in Cole County Circuit Court. The prosecutor's primary evidence at trial was the confession and testimony by police lab analysts that were that was later proven to be false. 
The analyst testified that semen was found on the carpet, uh, on the carpet underneath the victim's body in her vaginal cavity and, uh, and with rectal swabs and several other places. He testified that the only, uh, and I don't know anything about what this means, but apparently it was false. He said that the only, he said that the only seminal fluid at the scene were A and H antigens, which could not be, which, which could not exclude Allen as the source of the semen. So did they test the DNA evidence? No, they didn't. They didn't like get some DNA from him and compare it. They just said it doesn't exclude him. So they didn't test it. No. Well, they tested it for like what, what was in it. Oh, I mean, they got it from, they got it. They got, they got it from from the carpet, but the the carpet, but they didn't test it. They didn't get DNA from him and then compare it. Okay. And anybody else. Because they only got it as him. Well, they no. I'm assuming not the husband, or or or, and I don't think they could find Eaton, who was the original, who was the original um, suspect, or her husband, right? So basically, they said it would be like um, I'm trying to find a comparable thing because I don't, I really don't know much about antigens and, and seminal fluid and all this kind of stuff. But basically, they, they, basically they were saying it, it, it's not not him, which you can say that about anybody. You can say that about anybody. Right. Like it's like it, well. He's not not a suspect. You can pick anybody and say, yeah, yeah like it's like, uh, you know, it doesn't it doesn't exclude him. Yeah. But, it, it, you know, but it also doesn't exonerate him. Right. You know, so which I feel like if they would have just tested his DNA, probably would have exonerated him. But that's not their job. Their job is to convict him. So, you know, I don't know what his defense is. He might not. He might have had a poor, a poor defense attorney. This is another case of, you know, where a situation where money in a courtroom is necessary. And if you don't have that, you can't mount the proper defense for yourself. So they give you these bullshit defendants. Yeah, basically. Wow. Um, and it's like that's when you're like, how the fuck am I going to get out of this? Yeah, when you when you're when you're sitting down in a trial and you see you're the you hear the argument that your defense attorney is making, and you're like, and you you're mentally ill, which he so he might not have noticed, but I don't know his his capabilities. But there are situations where you go, that's a bad defense. Yeah. And I I don't know anything about law, but you're just gonna say, well, you know. That's why some of them crazy motherfuckers go, I'll, I'll, I'll represent myself. myself. <laughs> this dude doesn't know what the fuck he's talking about. Everybody thinks that person's, that person's crazy. It's right. like, no, I heard we went over the defense in the back before we were supposed to come out here. And this motherfucker is basically going to say I'm guilty, but you know, my mom is, is mean. Yeah. So it's, that's not going to get me off. I'll do it myself. Yeah. I got nothing to lose at this point. Yeah. You never know what's going on in the back. You might be like, that's what you're going to go out there and say. Yeah. You're fired. <laughs> And then, but all you see is the guy being like, oh, your honor, I would like to represent myself. Yeah. And then we all laugh and you're like, oh, here yeah. we go. This dude's crazy. But that might, and uh, you know, and on the darker, more real side, that might be that person. They might, that person might feel like this is the only chance I got to get not. Yeah. Because my, de- my defense attorney is bullshit. When you go up on that stand and you might feel like I'm going to go up here and just tell the truth. I'm going to say where I was. I wasn't anywhere near it, all this kind of stuff. And, and then the, the prosecutor, the prosecutors are the best prosecutors. Yeah. The defense attorneys might be overworked. Just trying to, hey, man, take this plea deal and just, you know, you'll get 25 years instead of life. Yeah. But that prosecutor is worried about a conviction rate. They're coming to kill. Yeah. So you might feel like, well, I got the truth on my side. And they get up there and trip you up. I didn't oh, say the truth. You're, oh, you're going to lie on I the stand? I bullshit. I'm going oh. this. <laughs> and you're, then you already are guilty and you're just trying to get off. I'm, t- I'm saying the situation <laughs> so where you're innocent. <laughs> I don't want to play into the prosecutor's hand. Like well, oh, this, oh this guy he's doing my job for me. He just, he just sit back. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. Nothing. <laughs> you up there just <laughs> telling on yourself. <laughs> but all right, okay, all right. I, well, I knew her. 
I did know her, but I didn't, I didn't, I didn't know her that well. I was like, yeah. okay, so you say you knew her. Your cell phone pinged right outside of her apartment. Yeah, yeah but no, I was on a date, and I we just walked down that way yeah. because I think her car is, and this all could be true. We saw this in Longshot. Yeah, just something that it on the surface. It sounds so innocent, but it can be spun into, you know, yeah. something crazy. Like, oh, yeah, I was leaving the game, and you got to drive past that neighborhood to go from the stadium. Yeah. And so that's why my cell phone pinged there. And yeah. all, it's, it's just they crazy. Hit you, they ask you a question back and fuck you all up, and you just... That's it. All over the place. Life gone. Your life's gone. <laughs> this happens every day, though. That's crazy. You know, like, man. you know, I, I can I can laugh about it, because it's, it's, it's easy to laugh at fucked up shit, you know, because it's all you can do sometimes. But this shit happens every day, man. Somebody gets tripped up on a stand. Something just doesn't look right, even though it's some completely innocent, but they can't find the right witness to corroborate it. Yeah. And people lose their lives every day, man, over some bullshit. Being in the wrong place at the wrong time. And then coming across a person who wants to put you in jail. They have confirmation bias. They have decided you are guilty, even if you aren't. And they're going to spin the whole story, whatever way they have to, to make you guilty. Yeah. And then if you come with the right evidence, they go, oh, okay, well, no, nah, yeah, okay, this person was there too, but they worked together. Yeah. You might even, yeah, you might, it might be a situation where you go, oh, we found the killer. And then the, they go, they were together then. Because he was definitely there. Like, what? This, this Y'all just placing me there. Yeah. <laughs> this, shit happens, this shit happens every day, man. Uh, so the prosecution emphasized, uh, the um the the antigens thing they emphasized this in their closing statement saying that if Allen had been excluded as the as the source of the semen we wouldn't be here we know that he couldn't we know that he couldn't have but it's consistent there was no other physical evidence linking Allen to the crime scene so basically their their closing argument was like if we if he was excluded from the antigens test he would be a free man but it's possible that it's his semen so. It's probably his semen, right, yeah. guys? And you know they spun it in some kind of, you know, whispering and going over to the jury's table and knocking on it and being like, "Hey, man, you got a kid, right? What if this? You know all that shit." But really, they had no evidence. Yeah. Uh, the victim's work colleague, the victim being Mary Bell, her work colleague Pamela Ann Richardson spoke with her at her home by uh, by phone between 10 a.m. and 10:15, uh, and made arrangements to come to her home to pick up some materials. By the time Richardson arrived between 10.30 and 10.45 a.m., the perpetrator was already inside the home. Investigators used the highly unreliable tool of hypnosis to prove her memory in a courtroom. And I could get and I've learned so much just based on the Innocence Project, reading their their things about bullshit pseudosciences and how a lot of that shit is phony and and, and should be called out when we read these stories. It makes me question so, so many stories that we've done where I might have gone Oh yeah, well they brought in like a a, a fire expert to to uh, identify the burn marks. That that can be bullshit science. It only takes you forty hours of a class to become that, and you can go into any courtroom and go, yeah, I'm a fire expert. Mm. Blood spatters, bullshit. Uh, what else? The fact that they can lie in a courtroom is also bull. I mean, they, they can lie in the in the uh, in the interrogation room and say, hey man, uh, you know we got your homeboy in the next room, and he said you did it, yeah. and there's nobody in there. You can just do that. Yeah. That's crazy. But they used hypnosis in a courtroom, which I would, I would argue also, I haven't done the research on that. Probably bullshit. bullshit yeah. You know, to, 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 especially in a courtroom. I mean, if, if we were at a magic show and you told me you hypno, you hypnotize somebody and they started quacking like a duck, I go, Oh man. Okay. Well, we're at a magic show. I'll buy a, I'll buy into it, but we're all sitting in suits in a courtroom and somebody's life's on the line and they bring in a dude with a fucking watch 
and dangling in front of somebody's face and, and hypnotize them in front of everybody. And I'm supposed to believe that that got them to remember a deep memory. You know, I mean, if anybody has some facts on hypnosis, if I'm wrong, if I got any, if we have any uh, hypnotizers as listeners, I'm not trying to slander your profession, but just bring me the facts. I'd love to hear the, you know, the facts on how that shit works. Uh, but yeah, like I said, they bring in a hip, uh, a hypnotizer and, hypn and, and hypnotize this person who, who uh, named uh, this woman Richardson, who was supposed to meet with Mary Bell. They hypnotize her to pull her memory because within um, within Alan's confession, he says that uh, he heard somebody calling out uh, at the door. Now, Richardson says she 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 initially said she didn't remember doing that. But the, the hypnosis made her sure where it like the hypnosis took her back to that moment in that apartment bu uh, building. And she's knocking on her friend's door. Mary, hey, it's me. Uh, Is this real? Yeah. What do you mean? This happened. I'm apartment. talking about this hip, this old hypnosis and shit. Oh, I don't know. I'm saying no. I mean, like, are they actually, <laughs> I mean, are they actually using it as some type of tactic to. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. To recover, to recover forgotten it's memories in court. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, this happens. This is a thing that people will allow. Some judges might now might not allow it. Yeah, probably. like me. Yeah. <laughs> so you wanted to bring in who? Yeah, I wanted to bring in um, Kevin the Magnificent. He's a, a hypnotizer. Like, no, that's not happening. Yeah. I'm not bringing anybody whose last quarter. name is an adjective. It's, 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 that's that's just not happening. <laughs> the Magnificent. Yeah. Like that's your that's your main your first witness. I want to call up Kevin the Magnificent. He's gonna hypnotize Pamela Richardson into remembering that night. Nah, we ain't. Yeah. That's not happening in my courtroom. Maybe in Judge Joe Brown's courtroom, but not in not in here, not in here. Judge Joe Brown ain't having that. Yeah, like you want to call in a what? <laughs> a hypnotist? Get that tomfoolery out of my courtroom. <laughs> uh, yeah, actually, Judge is that Joe how Brown. You talk? That doesn't how you sound. Is it? I think I just nailed that Judge Joe Brown. Impression. Did you? I think so. You might be thinking of Judge Mathis. I don't have a Judge Mathis. I don't have a Judge. Yeah, Mathis maybe I'm thinking of yeah. Judge Joe Brown. He doesn't. Like, well, you on the streets? That's my Judge is he Mathis. Still on I don't think so. He yeah. he went through a lot of Judge Joe Brown went through a lot of shit. He was like out here, you know, getting uh, he's a pimp. Yeah, some shit that was wasn't. He? I just guess not pimp. Oh. Like, not like, but like he was out here, you know, get, getting into some trouble outside like of the it. show. He just looked like it. Again, I think you might be thinking of Judge Mathis. <laughs> Judge Joe Brown has a thick mustache. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, but he was on way longer than Judge Mathis was on TV. Yeah, Judge Mathis. Yeah. Was, Judge Mathis is the cooler one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like Judge Mathis. Yeah, Judge Joe that's Brown. That's what I mean. Yeah. Judge O'Brien's like, you coming in here, your pants hanging down off your off your butt, and you want some sympathy and talking about you want to go to school? Get that out of here. You are a gang-banging, drug-dealing, loser. Your mom's embarrassed. Like He just goes off on people. Yeah, Judge Mathis, long. I don't think I remember because it was so long ago. Yeah, Judge Mathis was, had some compassion. You yeah. know, he was funny. So actually, we're off. We're off. I think I'm gonna get back to the story, but I saw a clip of Judge Mathis, and he was he was in the courtroom, and he was doing the you know going over the case, and he goes, "Oh man, what you do?" He was like somebody in the in, yeah. the, in the crowd. He goes, "Oh man, I didn't even see you, man. What you doing here? You snuck in here, man. Round of applause, y'all. Look, Anthony no Anderson. Was, no, he's oh. like, look, Anthony Anderson is in here. That show <laughs> blackish. Yeah, he goes, and he goes like he's that serious." That show, Blackish Man, I recommend everybody watch. In the watch. middle of court? Yeah, this is on TV. I recommend everybody go watch this show. I mean, the, some of the most powerful things I've ever seen. And then somebody goes, that's not Anthony Anderson. <laughs> and they cut to the dude. And he, <laughs> they cut to the dude. And Judge Matthews was like, you're not Anthony Anderson? No, nah, man. He's like, well, why were you clapping and stuff when I was just saying all that stuff? <laughs> oh, I'm just going along with it. Said, oh, man, come on, man. Go ahead. And I was like, what? What is happening? Why, why is this on TV? Why didn't you cut this out? 
He was dead serious, like, I gotta like see that. starstruck. Like, I gotta see that. Oh, man, Anthony Anderson, what are you doing in my, in my, on my TV show? Did he look like him? He was a chubby he, black dude. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> he looked like Anthony Anderson as much as any uncle you might have looked like Anthony Anderson. I mean, like, oh, I gotta see that. That's hilarious. <laughs> I'm gonna post it on some socials if I can find it, but yeah, it was, it was really funny. But back to, uh, back to the story. So, um, like I said, they they did hypnosis on this woman so that she could remember hearing or remember calling out to Mary Bell, and then, see that's how they that's how they connect the the testimonies. You know what yeah. I mean? So in in his confession, in 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 in, uh, in, in uh, George Allen's confession, he says he heard a voice calling Mary Bell's name from outside the door, and then they get oh, somebody who who was at the scene of the crime around the time that she was killed, mm-hmm. and then they get this hypnotist to say, "Do you remember calling out for Mary Bell?" So it's like, oh. That's who was calling out to Mary Bell, and that's who George Allen heard. So yeah. he had to be in there because there was somebody calling out for Mary Bell. And then it's like, well, see, there we go. Open and shut case. He was there. That's crazy. But it was it was it was coerced from a hypnotist. Yeah. Um, a fingerprint examiner testified that 27 fingerprints had been recovered from the home. 19 of the prints belonged to Bell's living boyfriend, who discovered her body. The other belonged to a police officer at the scene of the crime. And the other seven were of no value because they did not have enough features to compare to the other prints. Now, keep that in mind about the fingerprints. Thing, okay. About the, the, the um, of no value. Allen testified at, pre-trial, at a pretrial hearing and denied involvement in the crime. He said he was home on the day of the crime and family members testified that he was there and helped his sister dig out her car after it became stuck in the snow. He said that he, was, he, he, said that he falsely com- confessed because he was convinced by Riley that he had evidence against him that his claims of innocence were futile and that he had no other choice but to admit to the crime Mm. because basically it was yeah man no we got you dead to rights now you can take this plea or we got you dead to rights maybe we can work with you you know how they 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 you know they 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 tell you they're on they're on your side yeah also newsflash to anybody the only thing you do if you're pulled into an interrogation room is you say your name and you ask for a lawyer those people are not your friends they're trying to bag you on a crime so any kind of thing of like, come on, man, you can talk to me. We're friends. You thirsty? Get your soda. Hey, you want a sandwich? All, those are all tactics to get you to let your guard down and confess to something that you may not have done. Or maybe you did do it. And I'm giving you, I'm giving people who commit crimes uh, advice. And, yeah. and, but I'm, I'm, that's, I'm fine with me if the message gets to people who might end up in that situation and they're innocent. You know, Ask for your lawyer. Don't say anything. Do your best to not end up in that room, honestly. Like, if the police come to you and they go, hey, man, we want to just bring you down to the station and talk to you real quick, it's like, no, you can talk to my lawyer. Yeah, I ain't saying shit. That's the best thing to do. Don't even go to the room, because a lot of times people go, well, I'm innocent. I'll go down to the police station and talk for a little bit. But if this guy's mentally challenged, he's probably scared, terrified, and it's like... If he wasn't mentally challenged, yeah. Yeah, as Mr. Park 5, they were kids. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Yeah, so absolutely. This guy's mentally challenged. He's probably doesn't really even understand the questions he's being asked. And and, and then they're yelling. So now they're yelling, and you already don't understand. So it's like, okay, whatever you... Yeah, whatever you say. Yeah, so it's just a rough one, man. It's just rough. Uh, But he, again, at pretrial, he said, look, I'm innocent. They they beat a confession out of me. It's, It's a false confession. I didn't see any other way to get out of that room other than to say that I did the things that they were accusing me of doing. On April 22nd, a mistrial was declared after the jury was deadlocked, voting 10 to 2 to acquit. Mm. Allen went to trial on a second time on July 18th, 1983, and he was convicted on July 25th of capital murder, rape, sodomy, and first-degree burglary. Mm. Because one of the juries was 
because one of the jurors was excused prior to the sentencing hearing, the prosecution waived the death penalty and Allen was sentenced to 95 years in prison. Wow. His convictions were upheld on appeal. So he appealed and he still, you know, they, they kept him in there. In 1996, keep in mind that year, in 1996, the Innocence Project began reinvestigating Allen's case. The Innocence Project initially closed Allen's case in 1997 because the state claimed the biological evidence had been destroyed. And a lot of times, I mean, it's like most of the times when they get people out in, the, in these Innocence Project cases, it's based on DNA evidence. Yeah. How, how long have they been around? Um, at least since the early nineties. Okay. And there, but there've been other, there've been other branches, like other, um, iterations that may have come before that. Like there was this thing called, um, like, um, I can't remember the name right now, but then they, they blended into the innocence project, you know, like, so there were other people fighting, fighting to get people out of prison who were wrongfully convicted, but the innocence project really took off and has the most kind of public notoriety. Yeah. And, but they've been around since at least the early nineties. But they they were told that George Allen's evidence in the case, like all the DNA evidence in this case, was destroyed. They were told that, so they kind of were like, damn, I mean, that's the only shot we had. Yeah. Um, in 2002, after the exoneration of Larry Johnson based on biological evidence, the state had also previously claimed... Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, Larry Johnson was was released on based on biological evidence that the state also claimed was destroyed. So then they go, oh, wait. So they told Larry Johnson's lawyers that the evidence was destroyed... But then they just fought through that and were able to find something and he ends up getting exonerated. Right. Yeah. So then they go, OK, well, we need to go back on this George Allen case because maybe they're lying. Maybe that maybe the evidence wasn't destroyed. Yeah. So uh, the, um, a family advocate contacted the Innocence Project again in the hopes that the biological evidence in Allen's case could also be located. The Innocence Project reopened the case and located the evidence. In 2003, DNA DNA tests performed on Bell's robe and a pair of jeans found near her body concluded that Allen's evi- that uh, that Allen was not the source of the semen and proved that the victim's body was the source. I'm sorry, that the victim's boyfriend was the source of the semen. Yeah. That they said, well, we, it could be his. So they didn't test they didn't they didn't test her boyfriend until 2003. Wow. This happened in 1982. Yeah. So the, And maybe they didn't so, have the capabilities to do it. Yeah. So how did they um how did they go about finding out that the the evidence wasn't destroyed? They probably you just got to keep knocking on doors, man. You keep you make a stir, you get you get the story out into the press, you get the you get the you get the uh the the public uh concerned about what's going on, you get people calling down to the police station, yeah. you make a stink. But that's such a big hit to you trying to solve this thing where I figure most people would go like you just said they were like that was a Basically, our only chance to try to get this. Done. Yeah, well, they 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 did, and they that was in 1997, yeah. and they and it, it took it took this Larry Johnson case happening. Yeah. in the same state of Missouri, and then a family advocate going, well, they told Larry Johnson that the evidence was destroyed too, man. So maybe you guys can That's talk crazy. to talk to Larry Johnson's lawyers and and see what they did to fight through that lie because it was a lie. And maybe can you guys come back down here and and try to fight for George Allen again because we think maybe maybe the evidence isn't gone. Yeah. And it wasn't. And I don't know the exact tactics that they used, but I have to assume it was just persistence. You know, hey man, can we go through the can we go through the police evidence lockers ourselves? Yeah. You can look, do that? I don't I don't know. Oh. <laughs> but, I'm saying, but something, they found it. Yeah, it was yeah, found. Yeah, it yeah. wasn't destroyed. So I don't know how they went about it, but it wasn't destroyed. Um so like I said, they they discovered that the the DNA the DNA evidence that they had since nineteen eighty two had no had nothing to do with, with George Allen, and it was in fact 
seminal fluid from her from her boyfriend, her yeah. living boyfriend, who should who was who was probably on the short list of suspects. But once they locked should've in at the top. Exactly. But again, this is confirmation bias. So once they lock in on George Allen, they go, this is the guy. Damn, yeah. So we need to figure out a way to make it him, even if it's not. And everybody else, don't worry about them. Don't interview them. Don't get evident DNA evidence from them. Fuck those people. This is the guy we need to try to convict. And that's what they did. And that's what being railroaded by the system is. Yeah. So they, they lock in on you and they do everything they can. They hide evidence. And he black? They, is he black? Yeah, oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and the other guys. And are, the woman was white. And the guy's white. The, the boyfriend? boyfriend? That I don't know, but oh. I would assume. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Um, Damn, that's fucked up, man. Yeah, big time. Seven. Oh, yeah. Oh, here we go. Uh, in 2007, the St. Louis law firm of Brian Cave, the the St. the St. Louis law firm of, of Brian Cave, teamed up with the Innocence Project in order to assist in a full non DNA reinvestigation of the case. Further testing of on the other items in evidence in 2010 also failed to turn up any of Allen's DNA. Wow. So he was. There's no evidence That's that he crazy. was there, but there's fingerprints and blood and and semen, and he he's nowhere to be found in this apartment. In September of 2012, lawyers for the Innocence Project and Brian Kay filed a motion for a new trial for Allen for Allen, citing that the DNA evidence, as well as newly discovered evidence that the police had failed to disclose to the prosecution or to Allen's defense prior to his trials. So basically, saying well, he needs a new trial, man. This they lied. Yeah. There's evidence that he didn't do this, and this needs to be shown to a judge. The petition said that the lawyers also discovered police reports showing that contrary to police testimony, the seven fingerprints were actually good enough to compare, um, and none of them were Allen's. So they said they found they they said they found like 27 fingerprints, or they said they found they said they found they said they found like nine they said they, I think they said they found 29 fingerprints. 19 of them were uh. Her boyfriends, however many of them were a, a, a police officer who was in the in the crime scene looking Touching around. Anything. Yeah, and then seven of them were, un, were they couldn't be used. And that was a lie. Wow. There was enough fingerprint there to compare to George Allen's. Yeah. And it, it didn't match up. But they're telling them this, 92, 2002. He spent 30 years in prison, for one. They're, they're telling him this. They're telling this to a judge 30 years later. That, oh, yeah, I guess they could be used and could be tested. Our bad. I'll be hot, man. Yeah, my bad. Take 30 years. I mean, you take 30 years away from somebody's life. You need more than you got to show more than my bad. And the story gets worse. So it gets worse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll get to it. Uh, The petition for the new trial also said that Richardson came forward to say she did not remember whether or not she actually called out the victim's name. A statement consistent with that. A, a, a statement consistent with what she told uh, police initially. So initially she, she comes out of the gate and she goes, I mean, I went to the house, I knocked on the door, but she wasn't there. So I left and they yeah. go, well, did you call out her name? No, I definitely didn't call out her name. I didn't think anything was wrong. I just kind of, I just assumed she wasn't home. Yeah. Okay. Call Fred the amazing, you know, and we'll, we'll have him come to the courtroom. We'll put her on the stand and he'll hypnotize her. That was their plan. It was like, we'll get her to say she, she remembers. Even though she's saying in the official, you know, interview, yeah. I don't, I don't think I called out her name. Boom, call the hypnotist. So the, look at the things that they did to make him the guy, a hypnotist, man. Yeah. So uh, Richardson said uh, she was asked by police to undergo hypnosis to help her remember the name that uh, to remember the name that she called out, which was not disclosed to the defense. Oh, so I, I guess she, you know what? She didn't even do it on the stand. She did it in an interview 
And then they just kind of made it seem like at first she said she didn't remember, but then she remembered. Yeah. But they didn't say a hypnotist came in. So they didn't tell that to the, because I feel like that's, that's why it wasn't laughed out. Okay. Because it was done. And then her testimony was just, her her testimony was just presented in, in written. Oh. To the to the judge. I thought this was in. Court. No, I th- I thought so too I until say, I read that. That shit is like yeah, I, that I, shit is comical. I missed that when I was reading over where okay. it says you know um, they didn't disclose that to the defense, so the defense didn't even know that a, hip- a hypnotist was involved in getting her to say she remembers calling out the name. Yeah, but all they get in the in the courtroom is she remembers she remembers calling out Mary Bell's name. That's all they get in the courtroom, not the hypnosis part. Because I would mm-hmm. if I was a defense attorney, even the worst def- defense attorney would go, Your Honor, a hypno- a hypnotist. Yeah. Come on, can we, we can we throw this out? <laughs> uh, on November second, two thousand twelve, Cole County Circuit Judge Daniel Green granted a petition and vacated Allen's conviction. Green ruled that the police, particularly Riley, had withheld critical evidence from the defense. Most like, oh, most critically, the undisclosed evidence considered together points unavoidably to the conclusion that the police and Detective Riley, in particular ignored and hid evidence pointing to someone else Mm -hmm. as the perpetrator in their zealous pursuit of Allen's conviction. Yeah. George Allen Jr. was exonerated on January 18, 2013 in St. Louis, Missouri, after serving over 30 years in prison for the murder of a young court uh, reporter named Mary Bell. Allen was convinced Allen was convicted based in part on a false confession, police tunnel vision and blood type evidence that was said to be in, that was said to include Allen, but actually eliminated him as the possible contributor. Sadly, on October 16, 2016, George Allen passed away at his home outside of St. Louis, Missouri. Mm. So he was free for about three years. Wow. 30 years of his life were stolen. He gets to, he gets to put his fist up in the air when he walks out of the courtroom after getting his life back after, you know, 30 years of his life were stolen. And then three years later, he dies at home, thankfully surrounded by family. How'd he die? I don't know. How old was he? That I don't know off the top of my head. Oh. I didn't. I wasn't able to. But he was. He was. He was. He was a pretty old. He was. He was an older. He was an older he, guy. I mean, in 1982, he was. He was probably. I think he was like in his 30s or 40s. Oh, so he's probably like 60, 70 years. Yeah, old. Yeah, a little older, but also you you spend 30 years in prison. You're not eating the best food and all this kind of stuff, and you know, you, you know quality of life goes down. So mm. he spent 30 years of his life in prison. In 2016, he passed away, but he could have passed away still in prison. So I guess yeah. that's the silver lining I'm trying to find. And this is another silver lining I try to find because this shit happens all the time, but I don't know how I feel about it still, but you know, we'll get to this part. So he passed away in 2016. Uh, um, George Allen's family settled a lawsuit in 2018 for $14 million. Neither the city nor the state admitted to any of the allegations in the lawsuit, which included claims that the detectives beat a confession out of Allen and withheld evidence that would have shown his innocence. But earlier state court rulings that granted Allen his freedom Ruled police did cover up the fact that blood found at the scene ruled out Allen as the murderer. So that's the that's the little sliver of an admittance they could get out of the state was that we yeah the blood it, the blood would have proved that he wasn't at the scene. Um, his family got fourteen. Anything else could have proved that he wasn't at the scene. So many other things. <laughs> Maybe the how about his family saying it's a snowstorm and he was digging out a car. Yeah. When that was happening. Um. So this man had thirty years of his life stolen. The Innocence Project Damn. did free him, but unfortunately, three years later, but he got to he got to spend three years free, and and with his family, and that can't get back that time. But I just glad I'm just glad that he didn't die in prison. Yeah, and this is all posthumous. Like, oh, they proved that he was innocent, even though he was dead. You know how they go, you know, like when they when they blew up the church, and then fifty years later, 
they, they, they blew up the church in Alabama and those yeah. girls died and they 50 years later they build this statue and it's like oh yeah you guys we love you guys and it's like well they aren't here to feel this love right. you know and I hate that yeah so luckily George Allen got to raise his fists in freedom and celebrate being exonerated but he passed away three years later and his family you know they got their restitution and that's good you know they got 14 million dollars but that doesn't pay for no. his his life what is what is 30 years of somebody's life worth you know George Allen might not have made fourteen million dollars. I don't even like uh, like I get it for the family. Yeah, but it's like he didn't. He's not. He didn't get a chance. Well, to see really, it's hush money. Yeah, you yeah, know? but, I'm, really, but I'm talking about. But if they're gonna, but it should be given to him. It should be given to him. He yeah. should be able to try to make up for that re- lost right, time. Like, and yeah. he and he doesn't. It's go to his family. I mean, he got a chance to to see was allowed to see that. Hey, I was innocent yeah. this whole time, and he got a chance to be home. But that's. That's, that ain't enough, man. Yeah, no. Well, they really the thing the thing that's the most sad is like there is there never could be enough. Right. He's dead. He thirty years of his life were stolen. His he's mm. he was a mentally that's, that's he was a big a, chunk, man. That's 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 a third of your yeah. life. I mean, that, that, if you're lucky, that's a, if you're not so lucky, that's that's over. That's almost half of your life yeah. for some people, you know. And anything can happen in that time. You could hit, get hit by a bus. But if you're fortunate enough to live a full life and 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 and, and die around your family. The life expectancy of a black man in America is is like seventy at best. Like that's really that really is the truth. So, thirty years of your life were stolen. They took away half his life, man. Yeah. They they took away they took away almost half his life, and then they gave his family fourteen million dollars to say, hey, you know, don't bring this up anymore. We were we we fucked up, but you know, here's some money. You know, they they did the same thing to Freddie Gray's family, and. You, you, I haven't seen an interview of his. You know that none of that no made way. national. You know because they can't. Probably they probably can't say anything. Probably part of the contract. You know, so that's this shit happens all the time. You know, they're gonna throw the same thing at Breonna Taylor's mom. Here's twenty million dollars. You know, stop going on the news. It, it, you know, this shit happens Dang. all the time, man. George George Floyd's family probably are gonna get some money from the state. Yeah, and then everything goes back to normal, quote unquote, and then shit happens again. So I'm a fan of don't take the money and fucking take these people and try your best to convict them. Yeah. You know, cause I mean, honestly, I mean as much, none of this should be about monetary gains, but if you are a person fighting you throw for that kind of money at people, Oh yeah, I get it. But yeah. I'm saying I would rather, let's say George Floyd's wife or, or George Floyd's the mother of George Floyd's child, Breonna Taylor's mother, Breonna Taylor's boyfriend. They say, no, you can't, there's no money you could pay me. I'm fighting. I'm out here fighting for equality and justice. The money, the money can, Money is to be had from that. You can do speaking engagements. You could go. You could. You could, you could do a career. This could be your career. You could be a, an advocate for, you know, uh, a criminal justice. Yeah. Like there, there are avenues to where you can make money, and and get justice for your family. You know, and it shouldn't be about that. But I understand somebody comes to you and say, "Hey, man, here's twenty million dollars," and the this is done. We're not convicting the police. We're not convicting the detectives that got a false confession out of him. Nobody's gonna get in trouble. But here's money. Yeah. It's hard when you got kids involved, though. Big time. I understand it. I'm not sitting here looking down on his family for taking the $14 million. I'm not looking down on Freddie Gray's family for taking whatever money they got. And I wouldn't look down on Breonna Taylor's family or George Floyd's family. I'm just saying a lot of times when you get that money, it's that's the end of this. Yeah. This is this is now a civil matter. And this is done. Don't talk about it anymore. You can't come back and sue or something. It's over. This is over now. And you here's a gag order. Don't talk. You can't talk about it anymore. 
can't go sit down with Oprah and talk about this. It's you, it's done now, you know. So I don't know. What they do I, it anyway? What happened? A lot of times, if you if you if you violate a gag order, then whatever kind of severance you got can be like recouped. And if I already blew the bag, you're not getting this twenty million dollars back. I already bought the house, the, the G wagons yeah. out front. There's no what are you going to do? Take that stuff. <laughs> they can take that stuff. They can do that. I enjoyed it. Wait. Yeah, you know, I, I had, a, yeah, I had, you know, it was nice riding around the, the premium leather seats. But um, no, rest in peace to George yeah, Allen man. Jr. Man, I mean, you know, he was truly railroaded by the system. But again, I, 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 I sing the Innocence Project's praise on this podcast as much as I can because there are there are cases that they've gotten to early where they might have gotten somebody out after three years who was convicted on something that would, they would have been in prison for the next 25 years. Yeah. You know, so it, it, the more, the more uh, resources that they have and the bigger net that they cast, they can, they can look over cases all over the nation and they can catch them right as they happen, as soon as the injustice happens. But a lot of what they do are they're catching these retroactive cases because they were based on confessions, yeah. um, witness testimony, which is bullshit. Like over 70% of the time, Witness, like a witness testimony is absolute bullshit whether it's for the but that also goes both ways because you could say that you can make the argument for the the defendant or the prosecutor mm-hmm. or the prosecution if you're saying no no he he was with me that could be unreliable but what i'm describing more too is like a person saying yeah it was like two o'clock in the morning and i saw somebody coming out of the house it was definitely that guy they're wrong over 70 percent of the time mm-hmm. over 70 percent of the time but it's admissible in court and a lot of people have been put in jail based on that Based on somebody saying, yeah, I think he had a yellow hoodie on and he, I think he was black and you kind of fit that description. So you, you, that's, that's used against you in your process, in your, in your prosecution, in your case. And that kind of stuff happens all the time. So the innocence project will will go back and just go, well, there was, was it, was there DNA at the scene? Well, we'll we'll test the DNA evidence and it wasn't this person. So let him out of jail. It's that, it's that easy. DNA evidence has come along and really changed the game. And the Innocence Project is going back and just getting people out who didn't have the the convenience of having DNA evidence as an option. Mm. So, it, like I said at the beginning of my story, man, if you have any money that you can make a donation to the Innocence Project, you know that would I would really greatly appreciate it. You know, um, they they do tremendous work, and they got this man George Allen out of prison, um, and he got to experience the taste of his freedom and die around his family, which is something a lot of people who die in prison don't get to experience. You know. That's one of the saddest things, no matter what I, you know, what somebody's in prison for, you know, when I hear, you know, oh, I didn't get to go to my mom's funeral. That's a really sad thing. But, you know, it's also sad if, if, if you believe that your your kid or your father or your whatever is in prison and they're innocent and they die in prison and you don't get to go to their funeral. You don't get to see them one last time. So I'm glad that that's not how the story ended. Yeah. He died free around his family. And um, there's the silver line and I'm going to hold on to. What we're going to do is we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, it's Fran turns to tell you some fucked up shit. So stick around. All right, it's my turn to tell you some fucked up shit. So my story, my firm to murder this week, is about the 1993 Long Island Railroad shooting. Oh. Uh, which was in um, New York City, of course. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so here we go. So Colin Ferguson was born in Kingston, Jamaica, on January 14th, 1958 to Vaughn Herman and Mae Ferguson. Vaughn Herman was a wealthy pharmacist and the managing the manager, managing director of the large pharmaceutical company, Hercules Agency, mm. and was described by Time Magazine as one of the most prominent businessmen in Jamaica. Oh, wow. Ferguson, 
Ferguson attended Calabar High School in Red Hills Road, Kingston from 1969 to 1974, where the principal described him as a well-rounded student who played cricket and soccer. Mm. He graduated in the top third of his class. Von Herman was killed in a car crash in 1978 when Ferguson was 20 years old. His funeral was attended by government and military luminaries. Uh, yeah, military luminaries. Ferguson's mother died from cancer soon after. Mm. And the deaths destroyed the family's fortunes. Franley said that this deeply disturbed Ferguson, and he moved to the United States in 1982 on a visitor's visa. Mm. His friends supposed that he had trouble dealing with racism in America and that he felt frustrated because he couldn't find work outside of uh, menial jobs. Ferguson married um, Audrey Warren on May 13, 1986, a native of Southampton County, Virginia, which qualified him for a permanent U.S. residence. Mm. The couple moved to a house in Long Island where they often fought, sometimes to the point where police intervention was required. Oh, wow. On May 18, 1988, she obtained an uncontested um, divorce from Ferguson, claiming that the marriage ended because they had um, differing social views. Mm. Acquaintances said that that she left Ferguson because she was that he was too aggressive and antagonistic um, for her, mm. and that the divorce was a crushing blow to Ferguson. Ferguson got a job doing clerical work for Adam Cole's security group in Sayoset, New York, on Long Island. He slipped and fell and on August 18th, 1989. Yeah. While standing while standing on his stool to reach an in, to reach invoices from a falling from a filing cabinet. I bet. Injuring his head, neck, and back. Uh-huh. Everything. My neck and my yeah, back. Yeah, everything. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Cut the uh, check. Yep. The injury led to his termination. Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah. Well, never mind. <laughs> he filed a complaint with the State Workers' Compensation Agency. Okay, yeah, uh-huh. Which reviewed the matter over the next several years. Mm. You know, yeah, it's a long they, game. They're gonna hold. Yeah, they're gonna they go they're gonna play that long oh, game. Yeah. When See, it comes this to like this that. is my issue. <laughs> this is my issue with my people, black people specifically. It probably happens with a lot of people. Yeah. Is they'll take fifty thousand. Yeah. Out of the gate, but if you can play that game, you could have got two million. Yeah. And now it's five years later, and the fifty thousand is gone, and you can't even come back around with another lawsuit because you signed something that said, "Well, you can't sue again." Yeah. You take this fifty thousand dollars, and that's it. You got to play the long game sometimes. If your lawyer goes, well, I can get you 50000 today. But if you can hold off for like maybe two years, I can get you $1.5 million. No, man, give me the fifty. I'll take the fifty right now. So we got to, come on, man. Yeah, hold well, out. I guess it all depends on your situation, your living situation. If if that was your only job, that was your only income paycheck. and you Would you, you, could, would you be homeless for two years? And then at the end of the, you being homeless, you get a million and a half dollars? Yeah, I wait. That's what I'm saying. I'll wait it out. The worst situation, you got to stay at the homeless shelter. You got a million and a half dollars coming. Yeah. The lawyer guarantees it. I guarantee if you. Gar- yeah, if he guarantees it. Guarantee you. They just going to stretch it. They're going to stretch it out, but you got you to, gotta, you got an unbeatable case, man. Yeah. Eventually, they're going to, they can't keep stalling and everything. They're going to pay you probably about one and a half million dollars. Yeah. I'll be, I'll be on the street. Yeah. <laughs> I'll lose 20 pounds. Whatever. You can find me on the street. You can find me on the street, yeah. man. And get this 1.5 in two years. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, so he filed a complaint with the Workers' Compensation Agency, which reviewed the matter over the next several years. Mm-hmm. Ferguson enrolled at Nassau Community College in Eastern Garden City, okay. where he made the dean's wait, where he made the dean's list three times. Uh huh. So this this is dude this is a very intelligent dude. Yeah. It's not stupid. Um. So all also that year he was forced to leave a class after a disciplinary hearing board 
found that he had acted overly aggressively um, towards the teacher. Okay, so he's got some he's got some anger issues. Yes, for sure. Um, in late 1980, I'm sorry, late 1990, Ferguson transferred to the Adelphi University in Garden City, where he majored in business administration. He spoke out against coexistence with whites. Oh, with, yeah. Spoke <laughs> out. Yes. Against. Yes. Wow. Um, so he thinks black people should be segre- segregated. Um, uh, no, he does. He doesn't like white people. No, but I'm saying no. See, but that's what I'm saying. Like what? So white people are kind of the dominant society. So yeah, yeah. it would be more like black people should have their stuff and white people. I've heard this argument made by black people before okay. where they're saying we did better yeah. when it was you went and bought your food from a black owned business and black people only could buy clothes from black people. And yeah, they're saying we did better in that. I understand the argument. I just I don't agree with it. Yeah, me either. Um, so, yeah, so he routinely he returned returned. Routinely? routinely, I'm sorry, I keep saying, <laughs> routinely made calls for retribution, revelation, and regularly accused others around him of racism. Mm. On one occasion, he complained that a white woman in the library should that that the white woman in a library shouted racial empathets emp- mm-hmm. at him after he asked her about a class assignment. But an investigation concluded that the incident never occurred. Oh, damn! Yeah, <laughs> not even like he told he 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 told only his side of the story. It just didn't even happen. It just didn't happen at all. Oh, wow. Uh, later, Jesse, uh, Jesse, uh, Jesse Smollett. Yeah. So later he attended a symposium by a faculty meeting, a faculty member discussing his um, experiences in South Africa. Ferguson interrupted the professor by shouting, we should be talking about the revolution in South Africa and how to get rid of the white people and killed everybody white. Oh, wow. Yeah. I bet this professor was white unless it's like African-American studies class. I don't know. To, be, to say that to a white dude with glasses teaching a class, and he's like, just we just talk about killing white people <laughs> in revolution. It's like, oh, this, yeah. dude is, this dude is off the rails. Yeah. Oh, this dude is off the rails. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Students and teachers tried to quiet, uh, quiet him, but he started threatening them repeatedly saying, the black revolution will get you. Oh. He was suspended from the school in 1991 as a result of the threats. Although he was, fr- he was free to reapply after the suspension, and he chose not to. Mm. In 1991, Ferguson rented a room in Flatbush, Brooklyn. Um, he was unemployed and lived around many other West Indian immigrants. Mm. Neighbors said that he dressed very neatly, but kept himself, but kept to himself and rarely smiled or spoke to anybody except occasionally to say hello. Mm. He had delusions of grandeur. Yeah. His his landlord he thought, he thought he was the shit. Yeah. His landlord Patrick Dennis re- recounted. He felt like I'm such a great person. There will, there must be one. There must be only one thing holding me back. It must be white people. Wow. Yeah. Mm. So in 1992, Ferguson's ex-wife filed a complaint with the police, alleging that he pried open the trunk of her car prior to the incident uh-huh. um, that happens, and she said that she hasn't seen him. She has not seen him since the divorce. That was just white people. Yep, that wasn't even him. <laughs> so in 1992, Ferguson was arrested and charged with harassing a woman on the subway. Oh, just a random woman. Yeah. Wow. The woman tried to sit in a vacant seat alongside Ferguson and asked him to move over, prompting him to scream. You want me to go to the back of the train, white woman? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, what are you? I just actually scooted over. over just like two inches. <laughs> uh, prompting him to scream at her and press his leg and elbow against her until police officers pinned him <laughs> to the ground. Like, I'm not, I'm not, I'm, I'm scooting closer to you. Yep. It's like, it reminds me of like, you know, when you were a kid and 
and you was in line and you used to you used to like you didn't want nobody cutting in front of you. Yeah, oh, yeah. Pajama. Yeah. <laughs> no, this is uh, where this is where it stops. Yeah. Um. So Ferguson tried to escape the police and shouted, "Brothers, come help me!" <laughs> to like just dudes that live, <laughs> just like the dudes at the subway station. Yeah, man. I just any just, black person yeah. that was around. Man, um, you better go ahead. So, what year is yeah. this? This was in nine. This is ninety two. Oh, there's no cell phones out, but yeah. man, please. Yeah. So he sent letters to sent letters to the New York City Police Commissioner and other officials complaining about his arrest, describing 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 it as sick and racist, mm. and claiming that he was brutalized by officers who arrested him. The New York City Transit Authority investigated and dismissed the claims. Now, I'm not going to say, again, you know, in times like these, yeah. it's his word against theirs. Now, this dude does sound a little crazy, but that doesn't mean that they did, might not have roughed him up while they were arresting him. Little, you know this I mean? dude is fucking crazy. <laughs> ain't nothing little about the name. I'm not just going to say, like, oh, they they dismissed it, so he, they didn't do anything wrong when they yeah. were arresting him. Like, they, I mean, they could have tuned him up a bit, but he seems to be a liar. So yes. Maybe he yeah. lied about that yep. part. And he probably did all racial slurs white people while he was getting arrested yeah, and all kinds of shit. Good point. Uh, in September 1992, Ferguson was awarded twenty six thousand. Well, twenty six thousand dollars. Oh, for his from workers' from compensation. Hurt. Yep, that's nothing. Compensation claim against um, Adam Cole's security group. In nineteen ninety three, he insisted that he was still in pain and Thanks. demanded that the case be reopened nope. so they could get more money nope. for his medical treatment. Nope, too late. Can't do that. <laughs> he took he took the twenty six, right? <laughs> I'm sure he did. Oh yeah, yeah. then that's it. That's it for that. Yeah. Well, I want to see what twenty six thousand dollars is in nineteen ninety three. Yeah. Oh, about forty six. It's about double. Okay, so it's about fifty, about nah. fifty grand. Okay, that's not terrible, but still, if he fucked, his, if he really did fuck his back up and all that shit, the medical bills are probably pretty high. Yeah, yeah. Um. So in the following weeks, Ferguson visited um a Manhattan law firm for a consultation, and the attorney Lauren Abramson said that she was imme- that she immediately felt uncomfortable and threatened by him. Oh wow! She asked the law clerk to sit in on the meeting because she did not want to be alone with him. Wow which she had never done before. Ferguson was neatly dressed during the consultation, but he acted strangely and identified himself by a false name before providing his real name. Months later, he made threatening, threatening calls to members of the firm, claiming that they were, discrimina- they were discriminating against him. And, one of the calls, and this is the firm where he's like, I want to get more money from this company? Is yeah, this what he this went is? for a consultation. Um, oh, like at another place? At another law firm, yeah. Oh, okay. Um, and one of the calls, he made references to a massacre which occurred in California. Oh. The calls prompt the lawyers to start <laughs> to start locking their inner office doors out of fear. This dude is nuts. This dude is nuts, man. But also, um, I'm sure I'm sure the meeting was very short on their end until he flipped out on them because, like, well, they they gave you a settlement, yeah, and you took it, yeah. And but I can, I need more money. It's like, well, but you can't get more money. The case is closed. Yeah. You can't ask for more money. This is that racist bullshit. Racism, you crackers, yeah, <laughs> against me, and this is and this. Oh, they're like, oh my oh, god, yeah, you, yeah. Need <laughs> you need to get out of here. Oh, I need to leave now. Yeah. Oh, I need to leave. Y'all don't let black I'm people black. in your business. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so Ferguson tried to have his workers' compensation claim reopened by the New York City State Workers' Compensation Board, uh, which reexamined the case due to the, his persistence. So I mean, this dude they just, was they just not threw giving up. They were like, okay, <laughs> let's man. just do it, man. We looked into <laughs> it. You took the money, and you can't. Yep. <laughs> Um, but they ultimately rejected. Yeah. The board placed him on a list of potential dangerous people whom oh security God. guards were to watch for. <laughs> God, they got a photo of him like at the at the security desk. Right, yep. Uh in April 1993, Ferguson moved to California in search of a new career opportunities. He unsuccessfully applied for several jobs. Probably because he fucking creeped 
uh, well, whoever his last reference is, whoever his last reference is, isn't speaking glowingly about this dude. No, no, no. Um, including, including at a car wash where the manager laughed at him. Why? I don't have no idea. What did he, what did he say? Well, he's probably Maybe like, he well, in, you know, I'm probably came with a suit and yeah, fucking. Yeah, I really can be the manager of this place, but you know, so I'm not really looking to wash any cars, yeah. you know. But you know, it's like, uh, this is a job. This is a minimum wage job, and you'd be scrubbing tires. Yeah. So. I don't know why you're wearing a suit. It's like so you come in with a resume. It's like the stepbrothers when they came in tuxedos. Yeah, <laughs> come with a resume and a fucking briefcase, and she yeah. got his fucking uh, what you call it, your um, resume. Yeah. Come in there like this is a car wash. <laughs> yeah, I'd laugh. Laugh. I'd, I'd laugh. I'd laugh at that yeah. dude. I'd laugh at that. Dude. Um, so Ferguson purchased a Ruga P89 wow pistol mm-hmm. um at the Turner's Outdoorsman's in Long Beach for four hundred bucks after waiting fifteen day after waiting the fifteen day period required under California's gun laws. He presented himself as a California California resident by providing a driver's license that he received two months earlier, which had an address of the Long Beach Motel he was staying at. Wow. Yeah. Um, he was robbed by two men, so he started carrying the gun with him in a paper bag. Mm. Which is fucking, who does that? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> who does that? Um, so Ferguson moved back to New York City in May in 1993 because, um, as he told a friend, he did not like competing with immigrants and Hispanics oh, for jobs. this dude doesn't like anybody. No. He's an immigrant. Yes. <laughs> uh, his Flatbush landlord said that he appeared even more unstable upon his return, speaking in third person about oh. some um, hypo- hypocr- hypocrisy, hypocritical type doom scenario, oh. which included black people rising up and striking down their, their pompous rules and oppressors. And what's his name? Pompous ruler, sorry, and a person. His name? Yeah, his name. Colin Ferguson. Thomas? Colin. Colin. So he's like, so Colin Ferguson will lead the revolution. Yeah. Oh, okay. Wow. Yeah. That's pretty nuts. Yep. So Ferguson started talking five, sorry, Ferguson started taking five showers a day and could be heard by neighbors repeatedly chanting at night, all the black people killing all the white people. Just, he just repeating that in the shower all day. Man, this dude is this dude is nuts, man. This is terrifying. Yeah. His landlord became increasingly concerned about Ferguson's obsession with racism and apparent growing mental instability, and asked him to move out by the end of the month. And he's using up all the water with all those showers. Yes, yes, yes. On December 9th, nineteen ninety-three, Colin Ferguson purchased a purchased a ticket um, for the five thirty-three p.m. eastbound train at Flatbush Avenue Station in Brooklyn, which stopped at. Um, the Jamaica, the Jamaica station in Queens. <laughs> he um, boarded the third car of the eastbound Long Island Railroad commuter train from Penn Station to Hicksville, along with more than eighty other passengers. He sat on the south southwestern end of the car, carrying his Ruger P eighty nine handgun and a canvas bag filled with one hundred and sixty rounds of ammunition. Mm. As the train approached the Maryland the Maryland um, Avenue station. Ferguson drew the gun, dropped several cartridges on the ground, stood up, and opened fire at random. Wow. During the next three minutes, he killed six, probably the longest three minutes of anybody's life. Whoever For sure. Train. He killed six people and injured another 19. So the train hadn't stopped yet? No. Wow. Some passengers, some passengers mistook the gunshots for caps of fireworks until a woman shouted, he's got a gun. He's shooting people. Wow. Ferguson walked east, um... East on the train, which is Ford, yeah. pulling the trigger steadily about every three seconds. Several passengers tried to hide beneath the seats, 
while others filed, while others fled um, to the eastern end of the train and tried to enter the next car. Ferguson walked down the aisle of the train and shot people to his right, to his left, as he passed each seat. And you just you just praying for this thing to come to a stop and that the doors will open. You're yep. just stuck in this fucking box. Yep. Briefly facing each victim before firing. The New York Times wrote that um the the motions were as methodical um as if he were taking tickets. Ferguson said, I'm going to get you, I'm going to get you, I'm going to get you, I'm going to get you over and over as he walked down the aisle. Wow. Other passengers further away in the train did not realize that the shooting had occurred until after after the train had stopped and a crowd of panicked passengers fled from the third car into the neighborhood cars, into the neighboring cars. Yeah. One more appeared, one man appeared annoyed by the unruliness and said, be calm before they forced the train doors, <laughs> um, before the, before they forced a train door open and fled into the station. Man, such a dumbass down. Yeah. Two people were injured. And the stampede of the passengers. I mean, like, yeah, people oh, yeah. just fucking running. And those doors, like, are, those yeah. doors on trains are only meant for like yeah. one person to go through at a time. Right, so right, right, it's, right. it's chaos, man. Yeah. And there's like a gap. Well, it might be, it might be something. Coming, yeah, it's still, still, yeah, still a gap. It's, you're outside of yeah, the train yeah, right. for a little bit, you know. Um. Yeah. So two people were injured in the stampede of passengers. The train's conductor was informed of the shooting, but he decided against opening the train doors right away because two of the cars were not yet. Um, at the platform. So I'm guessing they was coming to... Yeah, still in the tunnel. Yeah. yeah. And announcements were made ordering conductors not to open the doors. But engineer Thomas Silhan climbed out of the window of his cab and opened each door from the outside um, so that the panicked passengers could escape. So, so shout the, out to so, him. So the, so the conductor listened to what they said and didn't open the door? No. Because they, wow. they wasn't fully parked into the thing. So the guy was like, fuck this. I'm hopping yeah. out of the window and opening these fucking doors right. so these people can get out. So that's why I said shout out to him. Um, not not too many people can make that quick decision sure. or do something like that. Ferguson um had emptied two fifteen round magazines during the shooting. Wow. While he was reloading the third magazine, somebody yelled, "Grab him!" Passenger Michael O'Connix, Kevin Bl- Kevin Blum, and Mark Mark Enty tackled him and pinned him to one of the train seats. Several other passengers ran forward to grab his arms and legs and um help pin him across three seats, three row. Three seat rolls with his head towards the window and legs toward the aisle. Beat, him beat the shot of yeah. him. While he was pinned, Ferguson said, Oh God, what did I do? What did I do? I deserve whatever I get. He also repeatedly um, pleaded with uh, those holding him down, Don't shoot me. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Five to six people continued to hold, hold him down um, for some time while they awaited relief. Ferguson was held down for several minutes. Andrew Roderick, an off-duty um, Long Island Railroad police officer, was picking up his wife from the train, um, oh. then boarded the train and handcuffed him. No, nothing. nothing oh, okay. But he I was, was like, just that there picking up. Was, yeah, That dude would have shot him. Yeah. I would have t- yeah. shot, shot him, too. Um, so the six passengers died from their wounds. Um, Amy Federici, James Gorky, I'm butchering these names, sorry. Maria Teresa um, Magato, Dennis McCarthy. Dennis McCarthy is one of the ones that only come up at the end as yeah. far as, um, you know, there was a lawsuit. So right. that name came up um, the most. Um, Richard Nettleton and me, Kukim, um, and then the wounded 
included Brendan Doyle, Mary Ann Phillips, and Robert Gugliano. So he had the six victims and he had the other ones that were wounded. So who was the lawsuit against the train? The, the... No, no, I'll, I'll get to that. Oh, I was okay. just saying that the McCarthy name was the only one I saw that actually came up and it was a big deal about the lawsuit. Okay. Um, so police detectives later, later said it appeared that Ferguson had been planning the shooting for more than a week. Um, the Long Island Railroad, it's called the LIRR, which okay. is the just the police, the Long Island Railroad Police. Okay. Um, Chief Joseph Flint said that this was the work of a deranged, maniacal person who for a variety of reasons decided to explode. None of Ferguson's victims were black. Sure. Surprise. Yeah. Although it was unclear whether any other black passengers were aboard this train. So I don't know if he was like, if he was like, okay, well. Like if he would have shot here. black people if there were, oh, like or, if it's a predominantly white. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Long Island is like a very uh, Italian borough. There's a lot of, um, you know, Italian and Polish and, and Irish American people that are in <clears throat> have a legacy of being part of like New York police force yeah. and everything. Mm-hmm. They move out to Long Island. Okay. So if he was getting on a train that was going to Long, I don't know where the train. It was from Flatbush to somewhere, right? Yeah. Flatbush has a lot of black people there. Mm-hmm. So I guess maybe when he got on the train, there might have been black people on there, and he just rode the train until the neighborhood got more white. Is maybe what I'm Probably, imagining. Yeah. You know, until all the black people got off where they got off, and now you're just riding to like. A predominantly white neighborhood. Yeah. And now he's like, oh, okay, all the black people are off the train. Yeah. Now it's time to go. Yep. Possibly. I'm not in his head. Obviously. That's what I think. Yeah. Yeah. So Ferguson showed no emotion as he sat in the back of the police car, which some passengers said he was shocking and disturbing, disturbing as the violence of the shooting itself. Upon seeing Ferguson, one of the victims became hysterical and shouted, he can be sitting there so calm after every, how can he be sitting there so calm after everything he did? Yeah. Police found pieces of note, notebook paper in Ferguson's pockets with scribbled notes uh, with the heading reasons for this. One of the notes referred to racism by Caucasians and Uncle Tom Negroes. Oh. They included um, refer- references to the false allegations against me by the, f- the filthy Caucasian racist female at the library. Um, a, re- a, reference- a reference to the February 1992 arrest. Ferguson's notes expressed anger towards the New York State Workers' Compensation Board that didn't wouldn't Bro, reopen. They gave year. you money. Yeah. Um, Asians, the governor, Mario Cuomo, and so-called civil rights leader, such as Reverend Herbert Daltrey. And Al Sh- is, 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 uh, what's his name on there? No, he's not on here, but oh, okay. he, he does come up. Um, Al Sharpton, when there's some racial shit going on. Yeah, you know, he come, you know he come. Him and uh, Jesse Jackson. Jesse Jackson, yeah. Yeah. Um, Vernon Mason and Calvin Butts. They also included the names and telephone numbers of the lieutenant governor and attorney general and the Manhattan law firm that Ferguson had previously threatened. <laughs> I mean, he was out for these like people. Every everybody, everything bad that's ever happened to me was never my fault. Yeah, it's these people. It, they were the wrong in the wrong. So that he put them all in this list of things that made him go crazy or yep. make him angry. Yeah. Um. So the law firm that he threatened, whom he referred to as those corrupt black attorneys. Who not only refused, yeah, only refused to help me, but tried to steal my car. Hell no. The notes indicated <laughs> Ferguson planned to wait to start the killings until he was beyond the New York City limit out of mm-hmm. the respect of ongoing Mayor David Dinkins and Police Commissioner Raymond W. Kelly. Okay. I don't know. Uh, that's just, 
he didn't he, he didn't want to he, he didn't want to disrespect New York City. Yeah, I would say. <laughs> uh, so Ferguson showed no remorse during the hours of questioning in the Nassau County District Attorney's office. Officials there said he was lucid and clear and aware of what was going on. Ferguson was arranged on December 8, 1993. He never spoke during the arrangement and did not enter a plea. He was ordered, held without bail, and Ferguson was escorted from the courthouse. A reported, a reporter asked him if he um, hated whites, to which Ferguson replied, "It's a lie." Uh, well, that's that. Definitely not a lie. Yeah. So President Bill Clinton took notice to the um, the Long Island Railroad shooting, Let's see called it a out. terrible human tragedy. The day after the shooting, Clinton announced that he had asked General, Attorney General Janet Reno to review a proposal by the New York City Mayor-elect um, Rudy Giuliani mm-hmm. um, that would set up the National Uniform Licensing sense, uh, System for gun buyers. Clinton cited the Ferguson murders as a factor in his support of the program, which would include background checks, tests, and required renewals every two years. Oh, wow. Um, so about one week after the shooting, Clinton visited O'Connick's, Bloom, and McKentry. I think those were the ones that were wounded. Okay. Yeah. Um, many um, African Americans, the, the concern throughout the African American community was high because they was like, they, we don't want any retaliation right, to our right. community based on white this dude, and, this and what this dude did. Yeah. Um, so you had civil rights activist Jesse Jackson who delivered a sermon on the cathedral, the cathedral of um, incarn- incarnation um, in the Garden City. You had Reverend Al Sharpton and Herbert Daughtry urged that African Americans in general need to be blamed. I'm sorry, in general, not not be blamed for the crime of um of this guy. Yeah. So Ferguson's trial proved to be bizarre as he cross-examined the police officers <laughs> that arrested him. And we just talked about this. We just talked about this. This is exactly what this guy so did. So he represented himself. He represented himself. He had his his lawyers, his his, his appointed lawyers there, but he. He he represented himself. Crosses. I mean, this was shit was hysterical, man. I mean, this shit was fun. I saw, I have a clip. I have to, I will play. I play that at the end. But this dude, it's like officer. Have you ever said the word nigger? Was this dude was hilarious, <laughs> was like, man. What? So Ferguson, um, Ferguson's trial proved to be bizarre as the cross-examined police officers that arrested him and victims he shot. Yeah, it was broadcast live by local media, Court TV, but was overshadowed. By you know what was going on that around that time? What year is this? This was in 90, 94, 95. Is that when the World Trade Center 90, blew up? Ninety five. No. In night Biggie Smalls. Mm. Um, One more guess. Nineteen ninety five. Yeah. Um is that when Princess Diana died? Mm-mm. That's my last one. So this was the it was overshadowed by the O. J. Simpson murder case. Ah uh, um, going on Simon Taisley on the West Coast. Very related. So this everybody is like knows. Black, yeah. yeah, it's like, <laughs> the, oh, the news in New York or, or all across the country must have been like, black people are going crazy and yeah. shooting people, killing white people. Yeah. Damn. Wow, I didn't know this. Because this story definitely was overshadowed, obviously. But yeah, if, you, sure. if you live in New York City and you know about this story and the O.J. Simpson national story, and yeah. you're like a white person in Long Island, you're like, oh, my oh, God, black yeah. people are fucking, this is the revolution. Yeah, yeah. So Ferguson... Um, Argued that the 93 counts he was charged with, <laughs> the 93 counts he was charged were related to the year of 1993, and if it had been 1925, he would have been charged with 25 counts. He said this. He says this in the clip. It's fucking hilarious. I don't know how that happened. <laughs> what? 
Uh, so he admitted bringing the gun onto the train, but claimed he fell asleep, and another man grabbed his gun and oh, began firing. Come on, man. A yeah, white, man. A white man. A white man did this. I was asleep. Yep. Check the fingerprints on the gun. You'll see him. Yep. He also argued of a mysterious man named Mr. Sue, who had information concerning a conspiracy against him. He also found another man who was willing to testify the government implanted a computer chip in Ferguson's brain, but at, at the last minute decided not to call him to the stand. Yeah, because this, this guy's saying all kinds of shit, man. MK Ultra, he's using all kinds of. Okay, okay, so conspiracies. Okay. Yep. So this individual, Ruel Diaz, was a, um, a parapsychologist from Manhattan and claimed during a press conference on the courthouse steps to have witnessed Oriental men. Nobody, you can't use An that word. An oriental man. You can't use that word anymore? Yeah, no, say it. Oh, I'm just saying, yeah. that's in the story. I'm just saying that yeah, in yeah. 2020, oriental is not a thing that people say. Yeah, I'm, this, <laughs> yeah, this yeah. is what's in the story. <laughs> oriental man pressed a chip into Fergus's head prior to the attack. I don't think that's how chips, I don't, I don't, one, I don't think just chips put it are real. Just thumb and yeah, just it's like, stick it to yeah. you. <laughs> like it's a micro SD card or you putting it into your phone. Like, Okay, now, now you do what we tell you. To it's do. like when you see on movies where like they do a chip or something, and then you see the veins go yeah, all into yeah. it, and all attached to your body and stuff. He's like, uh, nope, you just kind of push it, you just kind of push it into the skull and just force it through, and then it's, it works. Yep. So according to Diaz, the Oriental man told him to behold what uh, he was about to do prior to pushing the button. Um, all right. He was lasered out. He was lasered out by a remote control device. Diaz told reporters outside. The oh, court. like on Star Trek. <laughs> yeah, Mr. Sue. He just he just like beamed out of the tr- yep. out of the train. Yep, he was zapped just like that, right out of the twilight. <laughs> he zone. said this in a courtroom. <laughs> yes, wow. right, right out right out of the twilight zone, and was commanded to go up and down the aisle shooting people. And this is his witness. Yes, man. But they <laughs> they last minute they said don't he can't come on the stand. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder why. His his cross-examination questions mostly started with, is it your testimony? He repeated that a lot. Yeah. Um, and would simply force the witnesses to repeat testimonies um, already given. Yeah, just so people could really hear how crazy it is. Yeah. When a witness refused to answer the question to his satisf- satisfaction, he would often that's, ask... That's not, that's not how that worked. He would right. often ask the judge to uh, administer the witness to answer the question. Uh-huh. During the course of his cross-examination, Ferguson would refer to himself as third person. Yes, of course. Most particularly asking the victims of the shooting, did you see Colin Ferguson? <laughs> Which one of the witnesses, yeah, you shot me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's in a clip. You'll hear it in a clip. <laughs> Legal's, legal experts pointed out that Ferguson's questions were pointless and were not geared towards um, um, reputing a testimony. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. I'm, I yeah. bet it was like, so, um, excuse me, uh, <laughs> sir, Mr. Witness. Have you ever heard of slavery? Yeah. And like, yeah, man. I yeah, I did. But you shot me on a train, man. It was you. Yeah. That's not what I asked you, sir. <laughs> it's just craziness. Yeah. By right, by not recognizing when to object to a testimony in closing arguments, he lost his rights to appeal on those grounds. Among the defense witnesses, Ferguson requested was Ferguson requested was President Bill Clinton. This dude is nutty, man. <laughs> to come to his his trial? Yeah. Um, Ferguson originally sought to question himself to the witness stand, but ultimately did not do so. He told the judge and media outlets he intended to call a number of witnesses who would prove his innocence, including a ballistics expert, a hand a handwriting expert, uh-huh. two regular eyewitnesses, right. 
but they were eyewitnesses on the train. <laughs> I would assume, yeah. But they were afraid to come forward to take stand. Ultimately, oh, okay. right. he did not call any of the witnesses. Uh-huh. He also told Judge Belfi um, of an alleged conspiracy by the Jewish Defense League to oh, kill him damn. in prison if it was if he's he coming was at everybody convicted. Yes, he said um, the prison the prisoner slaying of of serial killer Jeffrey Dahmer was set up as a uh, prelude against him. Because you know Jeffrey Dahmer was Yeah, he was killed by a dude in jail. Yeah. So he was saying like, they're going to do that to me This is the beginning. Um, This is what's going to happen to me. Yep. Yeah. Wow. Yep. Wow, wow, wow. Yeah, man. Uh, So Ferguson was convicted on February 17, 1995 of the murder of six passengers who died of their injuries. He also convicted of attempted murder of wounding 19 passengers. He received 315 years and 18 months to life, meaning his current earliest possible parole date is August 6th of what? 2,200. 2,309. <laughs> God damn. And he's crazy enough. <laughs> <laughs> he's crazy enough to be holding on to that date. Like, all I got to do, man, I just got to make it to 2309. And I'll be free. Oh, man. What a hell of a date, man. 2309. So to even have a date when you got 300 yes, years, like we'll, yes. get, we'll tell you the date you'll be eligible for parole. Uh, so the judge said Colin Ferguson will never return to society and will spend the rest of his natural life in prison. Uh-huh. At the sentencing, Judge Donald E. Belfi called Ferguson a selfish, self-righteous coward. He also used the sentencing as an opportunity to, opportunity to, cri- to criticize the New York um, controversial sentences sentencing cap law which would have capped Ferguson sentenced to 15 years had no one died in a massacre because of the felonies he committed on the train were part of the one occurrence. Got it. Yeah. So if it was all just a gunshot wounding and assaults. Yeah. He would have just got 50 years capped. Wow. Therefore all sentence sentences would have been served concurrently and capped at 50 years. Cause they're all this, they would all been the same charge. Happened all, happened all at one time. Right. After his conviction, Ferguson was put into a position to argue in an appellate briefs that had um, incompetent counsel, which was himself. Mm-hmm. After his sentencing, Ferguson was incarcerated um, for a time in Attica Correctional Facility in upstate New York. As of 2019, he is serving life sentences, life sentence in the maximum security upstate correctional facility located in the north northernmost part of the state. In 1994, Ferguson was apparently involved in a fist fight with a fellow inmate, Joel Rifkin, who was a serial killer. Oh. Um, which is, it's crazy how... Probably called him a white devil or something. Something. When yeah. we hear stories and they, these two crazy motherfuckers run into each other mm. and they just argue and fight or whatever. Yeah. So the brawl began when Ferguson asked Rifkin to be quiet while Ferguson was using the telephone. The New York City Daily News reported that the fight escalated from Ferguson to Rifkin I wiped out six devils, and you only killed women. Oh, wow. Which Rifkin, so compa- comparing, it's like Freddy versus Jason. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, wow, uh, okay. To which Rifkin responded, yeah, but I had more victims. And then Ferguson punched him in What a crazy conversation to wow. be having That shit is wild to me. Who was the better serial killer or whatever. You know what I mean? That's nuts. It's, that's nuts, but like it was like, I was super intrigued on it. Because oh, it's for like, sure. That's crazy. <laughs> I would love to hear it. That's crazy motherfuckers nuts. arguing. Like who about, has better Pokemon cards or something. It was wild, man. Wow. Was, I wish I was able to see that. Because that, that whole conversation. I would have been looking was, back and forth like, wow, that's his rebuttal to that. Yeah, we only kill women, but I killed more women than you killed white people. Shut up. I'm better than you. <laughs> what? Yeah, man. Um, so Carol, Caroline McCarthy was um, 
whose husband was Dennis McCarthy, uh-huh. who was killed by Ferguson. Um, so it was a whole bunch of, it was at least half dozen lawsuits related to the shootings that were filed against the Long Island Railroad and and the, its apparent company, the Metropolitan Transit. Transportation Authority. So Caroline McCarthy filed for a $36 million damage lawsuit against the two entities, yep, claiming they failed to provide um, adequate protection for passengers and should have installed metal detectors and used undercover police officers. The The suit sought $1 million for Dennis McCarthy's pain and suffering and $10 million for the death and for damages to survivors and $25 million for injuries to Kevin McCarthy. For one person. Yep. Whoo, that's a big lawsuit with a lot of stuff that yeah. I don't know you can prove yeah. to somebody. But Carolyn McCarthy, um, which was the wife of Dennis McCarthy, was elected to the United States House of Representatives after the running for the platform oh. of mm. gun control. Mm. Oh, whoa. Yep. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Mm. Um, so she had some she had some she had a high profile. Yeah. So she yeah, probably, for sure. She, for she, sure. Prob- she probably won that lawsuit then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um so I think after this whole thing happened, they hired more security. Put metal detectors in them? I don't think they did. I don't think they did that. There might be undercover security, undercover police officer security on these trains now, but there's no metal detectors on the trains in New York. No, no, no. So they did have more security. Uh, They have different trains now. Then I don't know if that was already thing that was in process, but they do have different cars now, right? And trains. Um, But there is a clip. I'm not going to play that clip. Uh, I'll, I'll, if when you remind me um, when you post a. You could text me and let me know because there was um, a certain a certain night live sketch that um, Tim Meadows did of Colin Ferguson in court. The the Fucking, la- the ladies man. Yeah. <laughs> Fucking hilarious man. Leon Phelps did a sketch. Yes, <laughs> yes. When he was on SNL a long time ago, you know this was in the nineties. Yeah. But you know he was just saying, <laughs> just I did not shoot them. They shot me. Was one of, was one of the big lines in the thing. <laughs> it was hilarious. But I do want to play the clip real quick when he was in court. Okay. Ferguson seems to try at least one witness's patience. Did there come a time when you were hurt a pop? Yeah, when you got up out of your seat. Who did you see shot first? I saw someone, you, shoot someone to the north side of the train, which is your left. Is it your testimony? Under Mr. Peck's questioning, that you saw no one shot. I saw you shooting everyone on the train. Okay. Um. She was she was hot, man. She was she was like, is was, this guy fucking serious? <laughs> I saw you. You're left. That's <laughs> crazy. And then and like, I also didn't expect him to sound that way. Yeah. And then in the SNL skit, he was like, uh, he asked like the same thing, and yeah. the guy was like. I saw a guy in a brown suit with short hair <laughs> that looked like you with a tie on who shot me. It, it was hilarious. But that dude, man. Is it your testimony that you saw no one shot? <laughs> I saw you I saw you shoot everybody on the train. I, it was you. I can imagine. You're talking to the guy that did it. He's like, so you're saying you didn't see anyone shoot anyone. That's not what I said at all. I, I saw you. You shot me, man. Yeah. You shot me. Did you see Colin Ferguson shoot anyone? I saw you shoot to your left. <laughs> I saw you shoot people. Like that, I've never heard of the story before. That is, yeah, man, that is nuts. Here's his, his face. This that's the guy. I know you're gonna post a picture. Oh, but absolutely! That's him. Wow. I mean, the dude was in court, doing, and, and and during the video, you could see his 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 lawyers just like just sitting there. Yeah, just fuck it. Let's get I'm this a, shit over I'm a, with. I'm gonna watch the show. I'm yeah. gonna let him do yeah. his whole thing. Hilarious, wow. man. That is nuts. so. That was Colin Ferguson. 
I, I was like, I've never heard a story. Obviously, because you had the OJ now, I knew this was going yeah, on with the OJ. Overshadowed it. This is, nobody was paying attention to this except right. for if you was Very New York, York centric, yeah. Because, yeah. you know, the, the OJ was all across the world, but, you know, if you was, if this happened to it was family, very it was like close. Yeah, yeah, so it was like, but never heard a story. This guy went in, did his own thing in court. Um, the shit was wild, man. But they did say that, um, uh, let me pull up this up real quick. But they did say that Ferguson, was suffering from paranoid personality disorder. Oh, um, clearly, but he was wrong competent to stand trial. Yeah, clearly something wrong with him. Yeah. yeah, So that was Colin Ferguson, and that was the shooting of the 1993 Long Island Railroad shooting. Wow. Yeah. I definitely will text you. That needs to be up on the Facebook group. The, the SNL sketch. Yeah, I man. To, I need to see that. That is nuts. And also, I need to actually see that's video that you played. Yeah, it's video. It's on YouTube. I need to see that. I'm, I'm going to look up all of this shit. That is <laughs> that is absolutely insane. Yeah. Colin Ferguson. Yeah. Wow. I saw you do it, man. You you did it. Yeah. You, you shot me, man. You also were yelling, Collison, Colin Ferguson is shooting all of you devils <laughs> as you walked down the... You said your own name. Yeah, man. That's nuts. Yep. Wow. Well, um, that was oddly... That was like a dark comedy story that yeah, you just yeah. told. It was yeah, super yeah. fucked up what he did, but I mean, he's so insane that it's like hilarious. Yeah. They, uh, off, they, they had to do an SNL skit of it. Yeah, like, you, that same you, you, once you told me it was Leon Phelps, the ladies, man, I'm like, I can see it. Yeah. Because he's hilarious. So, um, yeah, I'm going to have to check all of that shit out. But um, what we're going to do is we're going to go ahead and jump into these good vibes. Welcome back, guys. Now it's time for our good vibe segment. Um, it's always good to hear some good news after hearing a whole bunch of bad news. Absolutely. Um, I would, I would say that this episode wasn't too down. I mean, people did die, unfortunately, but it wasn't. It wasn't. This episode wasn't too gruesome or nothing. Yeah, it was like more. That. It was. I feel like my story was more of a just a, a an indictment on the criminal justice system yeah, yeah. itself, and yours was batshit crazy hilarious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but of course, people did die. Yeah. But somebody being crazy enough to represent themselves in court and to use some of the defenses that I do use, you can't help but chuckle. It's 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 baffling. Yeah. So I, you're you're right, especially you going and then going into the good vibes. Yeah. It kind of any kind of downness I was feeling from my story kind of went away because yeah. you're like, what the fuck is this? Yeah. Because at the at the end, I dude was just hilarious at that yeah. point and just like, oh yeah, this dude's fucking crazy. Yeah. Uh, so um, my good vibe story this week is about uh the streets of Santiago, Chile. Maybe a long way from Gotham City, but among its citizens dwells a true superhero. Far from being a fictional crime solver, he's a real-life hunger fighter who distributes food in the city's homeless population on a regular basis. With his Batmobile, or in this case, the white SUV fully stocked with cargo of, cargo of hot meals. Close enough. Yeah. Um, he wears a shiny black costume complete with a cape and two masks. One... Um, with the pointy comic book ears uh-huh. and, a, and, a, and eye slots and the other for the COVID-19 protection. Wow. The self-proclaimed Solidarity Batman is doing his part to make um, life during Chile's month-long lockdown more bearable for some of those hardest hit by the current pandemic. Mm. But this Batman's do-good mission is about um, is about more than simply delivering food knowing that sometimes all it takes to nourish the soul is a little humor or a few kind words. He aims to feed people's heart 
as well as fill their stomachs. He chose Batman's. He chose the Batman outfit to cheer people up. It fosters a feeling of togetherness. Look around you and see if you can de- dedicate a little time, a little food, a little shelter, or words sometimes of encouragement to those who need it. Is what he told um, a, a news outlet. Beautiful. So it's just a. Uh, I believe this is a guy. Well, I probably he probably wouldn't go by Batman if he was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, still. Um. Yeah, so he just dressed up as Batman, which is, I think is pretty pretty awesome. Yeah, for sure. It's more than what I would do because I feel like that's. I guess you could just buy a Batman suit. I'm thinking of just making it for some reason. I don't know. Just make a Batman suit. I'm like, that's too much. Yeah, no, you can just buy a Batman suit. <laughs> Batman suit, but he does yeah. have a mask on, so he is. I like that. Uh, yeah, I like, yeah, yeah, I like yeah, that he's, he's like, um, he's in the costume, but he's also following the guidelines. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Going out past food as people. Because, I mean, like, this is. Especially this, in a country this, like Chile. I mean, uh, the, uh, let alone, I mean, here, we like to think of ourselves as a yeah, first yeah. world country, and this country's in shambles. Yeah. I used to, I mean, I think they stopped doing it, but when school was, it was still school was. Uh, in session mm-hmm. before like the new semester has just started. Yeah. I would see cars lined up down the block going to the high school because they were offering free meals. Ooh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. you don't realize because I wasn't as affected financially by the by the pandemic. But you when you see a hundred cars lined up down the block because they're giving out free meals in, yeah. a, in a high school parking lot, you go, oh wow man, shit is real out yeah. here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh this the again guys, be safe. This pandemic has not gone away yet. No. We haven't even hit the peak yet from you know what we keep hearing make it worse yeah. come winter time so it's like so shout out to this dude for doing this looking out for homeless people because they they need food too i mean they are doing worse than we are and before this even happened it was doing worse Actually, than we that's are that's exactly so it's like they need food they need words of encouragement they need love um so shout out to this person who who was out there doing it. i don't think it said his name he, well, you, nobody knows who Batman's Batman's real name. Yeah, so he's just hiding his identity. Cool. Yeah. Okay. Did you see the trailer for the new Batman movie? No. Oh. Did they open the movies up? Well, no, it's coming out in 2021. Okay. Not that that matters. I'm about to say, what is that? Matters or yeah. anything, if I'm gonna go see it in the movie theater, but it looks pretty badass, man. Mm. I was a Robert. I was a Robert Pattinson doubter. Yeah. Because I just didn't like how much I I, I didn't like the Twilight movies. I thought they were stupid. And, you know, I didn't like how much girls were like, oh, my God, Robert Pattinson, because he's yeah. very skinny. He's not a beefcake. Like, Taylor Lautner, I understood, man. He's that was kinda, the wolf, right? Yeah. yeah he was kind of ethnic looking. He was buff. Yeah. I got it. But he, Robert Pattinson in that movie looked sick. Is he pale like he is in a movie? No, not oh, okay. as pale. Oh, I mean, he's okay. pretty pale, but he's, I mean, he was dead in that movie. <laughs> yeah. But um, I've seen him. In, so, I, so I was very much, I put him in the same category. Now, this one actor I'm about to say was able to prove me wrong, but I put him and Zac Efron in the same category at the point. I was like, oh, these are just good looking dudes like that girls go crazy over. They're not actors, actors. But Zac Efron proved me me wrong because he ended up being funny. So I ended up being like, okay, well, he's like a good looking dude, but I can like enjoy his movies and not be like, oh, this guy's showing up in the movie. When's he going to take his shirt off and the the audience screams? Did he do good in, uh, what's his name? Ted Bundy film? I didn't see it. I didn't see it. I just, I'm kind of over I know Zach uh, Ron from uh, music, High School Musical. That's about it. Are you a big fan of High School Musical? No, I'm not. I just know he was in it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to get so defensive, man. All I'm right. sorry. <laughs> but um, no, I've seen Zach Efron in some um, some comedy movies. He's a funny guy. Okay. And uh, Oh, yeah, he was. I, I know but that. Robert Pattinson is like an actor-actor. But I didn't want to give him credit. I was like, there's no way this dude from these Twilight movies is an actor actor yeah like an oscar just i just i just i just didn't believe that but you know what made me turn around and give him a chance and i I was proven um i went i watched a movie called lighthouse that he was in i've seen a couple of dramas that he was in i did the same thing for matthew mcconaughey when he first kind of became an actor actor yeah because matthew mcconaughey was just like 
yeah, man, I take my shirt off in movies and I'm in a romantic comedy. Yeah, I love and, Matthew. I love him. But he, it took work for him to prove to people, like, no, I can act. I'm not just like yeah. a, a handsome dude that surfs in movies. I can be an actor. And because I thought of that, yeah. I gave Robert Pattinson a chance and I, I've gotten onto the Robert Pattinson can act train. Yeah. And then this trailer for the new Batman came out and it looks badass, man. I gotta see it. You know who's in my top three of actors now? Who? Johnny Depp. Now? Yeah. You know why? Well, he's great. Black Willy Mask. Wonka. Willy Wonka. Man, the role he plays in Willy Wonka. <laughs> I Blew you away? Man. Yeah. Transcendent man. performance? Oh my goodness, man. He's sarcastic. He just like, he, oh, I love it, man. <laughs> I cool. love it. <laughs> Cool. I'm glad Johnny Depp has crept in. Who's your top? Who's your other two in your top three? Um, I don't know. Cool. Well, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> got a very tough top three there. It's not even three in the top three. Yeah. Well, two and two of them are black. I just can't remember their names. Probably. Okay. Cool. <laughs> Johnny Depp, blank and blank. Yeah. We'll get back to it. Yeah. Uh, my good vibe story this week is about a first grader who turned her dream of feeding homeless people into a reality by launching her own foundation. Okay. okay? Uh, Paris Williams is now no, uh, no d- direct relation, but it might be a distant cousin. So shout out to you, Pear. Uh, Paris Williams is six years old. Like many other first grade peers, she's adorable. But this little girl is also driven by a mission to help others who are less fortunate. Mm-hmm. So driven, in fact, that she has launched her own nonprofit foundation, Paris Cares, mm. to feed the homeless in her area. Paris's mom, Alicia Marshall, says her daughter's inspiration to become a hands-on Good Samaritan was the was the title character of Carrie Chadwick's deals, uh, children's book, One Boy's Magic, who also uses his power to feed the homeless. Now, this is what, um, this I don't know what this book is about, but regardless of if the main character of this book is black or not, this is what media and, and positive uh, 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 um, entertainment for children can do to them. It sparked something in this child when she read a book about a little child who wants to feed homeless people. Yeah. So this is why I'm always on here championing representation. Again, I haven't seen this book, but when you see people that look like you doing things that you didn't think were possible, it sparks something within you to feel like you can be great. And so, regardless of what this book was about, who the, what the person looked like, it sparked something within Paris, and she's now started her own foundation to feed homeless people. Her mom said she was reading she was reading books at school about giving, and she came home one day and said. Uh, I want to give back to the homeless. What can we do to help the homeless? Uh, she also uh, she went on to say, we kind of brainstormed some ideas and we came up with making care packages. Mm. She said, I wanted to give something to the homeless. Uh, she Paris explained, uh, she said, like the boy in the book. Paris might not have had a magic wand, but she didn't let that stop her. Turning instead to more practical magic and the help of her parents. Paris assembled and delivered via non-contact drop-off so everybody was being safe. Yep. More than 500 care packages containing food and other essentials to downtown St. Louis homeless, as well as handing out approximately 250 meals to essential workers. But Paris wasn't satisfied to simply donate goods. It was important to her to forge a bond with the people she was trying to help. After filling each package herself, Paris drew a picture or wrote a personal message on the uh, on each one of the on each one of the packages to create the human connection so many homeless are sorely lacking. Mm. Which, that can go further than even the food sometimes. Just feeling like somebody cares about you when you're in that situation. Yeah, You could get, you could bring some people out of a pretty dark place. Um, she said, it makes me really proud because with everything that's going on in the world, this small child who was entering the first grade has such a big heart. That's what her mother said about her. She wants to give. She wants to help others. 
Paris has already accomplished a lot by anyone's standards, but if she would, but she is on her way. Oh, I mean, sorry. But if she has her way, she's only just getting started. She's looking forward to holding a Thanksgiving hot food drive for the homeless and also hopes to start a Christmas toy fund for kids in need. So this girl has big dreams of helping people. Yeah. She said, I want to, I want to inspire people to do good things. Out of the mouths of babes, it seems to, it seems, out of the mouths of babes, it seems, comes not only wisdom and truth, but kindness and generosity as well. If you'd like to pitch in to help Paris feed the homeless community, donations can be made directly to Paris's, uh, Paris Cares Foundation, or you can purchase Paris Cares masks and t-shirts uh, via her bonfire account. And um, I'm going to go ahead and she has a GoFundMe called Paris Cares. So if you go on GoFundMe and type in Paris Cares, she's raised $3,500 of a $4,500 goal. I've mm. seen people get more money for less. If you can give $50,000 to a kid who works at Starbucks, you can give another $1,000 to help this little girl reach her goal of feeding the homeless. Yeah. Right. Um, also, as far as the masks go, uh, the Paris Cares uh, bonfire account is she their paris paris cares t-shirt so if you go on bonfire and type in paris cares they'll come up they're cute shirts i'll probably buy one and i believe she said she has masks as well so go out and support this little girl who has a dream of doing something really uh great and i think that when you instill into kids at a young age that they can do these great things you are potentially creating a phenomenal adult like who knows what this kid can do in the future if she realizes at this age what she can accomplish um so that's my uh good vibe story um get this music out of here um yeah i had i had something i wanted to go out on talking about i thought but I, it seems to have escaped me oh there's a, a new tv show on hbo max called it's on hbo but it's called uh uh lovecraft country okay it, it is it is this new horror civil rights jim crow tv show where it's Jim Crow era, but then it's also got like sci-fi shit going on. This shit is like Stranger Things mixed with Mississippi Burning or 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 any kind of uh, Jim Crow era movie where you feel that racial tension and, and the police and sundown towns and all this kind of stuff. But then when the sun goes down, fucking monsters come out of the ground and eat people. Mm. And the premiere was last week and it was crazy as shit. I think this is going to be a big show. Like I said, I, I saw a lot of a res resemblance to Stranger Things because it's so fantastical and you see the characters are really compelling. There's a lot of shit going on. So I highly recommend Lovecraft Country to anybody out there who's interested in sci-fi and also interested in, surprisingly, they found a way, at least in the first episode, to teach people about things, you know, uh, about like uh, the where green, how green books work as far as um, back in the Jim Crow era, there would be these um, authors who would write these books about, hey, man, you can go to this restaurant in this town. They aren't racist here. It's on, like it was like a map for to tell people where they can survive through going through the South. Damn. And you learn about for that. For black people? For black people, yeah, during Jim, Jim Corey. It's like, don't don't yeah. just drive right through this town. Yeah. Don't stop at this town. Yeah. You know, shit was real shit was going on. But then when you learn, within learning that kind of shit, a monster will come and just eat somebody's face off too. Damn. So it's this really interesting combination. I feel like there's going to be a lot of visceral dark episodes that don't, don't even have anything to do with the monsters, just about some crazy real racist shit. Yeah. But then also monsters will come out and just cra crazy shit happens. So Lovecraft Country, I highly recommend that. And uh, what we're going to do is we're going to get up out of here. Uh, I've been Alvin Williams, joined as always by my partner in true crime, Franco Evans. And we'll see you guys next week. Deuces.
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. <laughs> 